Hey, everybody. Happy opening weekend. Welcome to the Double Down WNBA podcast. I'm your host, Eric Demchok, as always, alongside Stephen Trinkwald. Stephen, we had our first three games of the season today. Um, how are you feeling? Well, it was nice to have basketball games. Uh, they weren't the best games, but they were games. They definitely were games. Uh, when we were off the air, I described them as preseason-y. Stephen agreed with me. Um, but, I mean, it, it, it makes sense. Like, you don't expect perfect play in the first day of the season, especially considering the uh, less than optimal conditions that the WNBA is playing in. So, as, as always, you know, props to them, kudos to them. Uh, they're, they're real warriors for going through this stuff. Um, so, you know, let's just dive into it. Uh, first game of the day, Seattle Storm and the New York Liberty. I think a lot of people were anticipating this one because of a certain one-on-one matchup. Um, but at the end of the day, the, uh, the Storm prevailed pretty comfortably by a score of 87-71. to 71. Uh, interestingly, the Storm scored exactly one point per possession, so an offensive rating of 100. Uh, the Liberty offensive rating, not great, 81.6. So that's a net rating of 18.6 points per 100 possessions for the Storm. Um, it was a pretty sloppy game, 34 total turnovers. Uh, I'd say in particular the first half was especially um, <laughs> preseason-y. Uh, the teams combined to shoot just 13 for 51 from three-point range. That's 25.5%. It was competitive, like, midway through the second quarter, but the Storm were able to pull away late, and they led by double digits for most of the fourth quarter. Um, and, yeah, Stephen, um, where, where do you want to start with this one? Well, I mean, I, I kind of want to start with, you know, the starting lineup. One, one thing I found interesting was New York starting all four of their vets. Uh, of course, you know, we'll get into the Kia nurse injury at some point over the course of this recording, but um, rolling out Clarendon – uh, Nurse, Zowie B, and Stokes all in the starting lineup. Definitely not something I anticipated in, particularly those two bigs playing together, kind of, um, you know, kind of running counter to what New York had really put together over the offseason in sort of running, you know, a more, or putting together at least a more modern, more spaced out roster. Of course, we did see a couple threes from, from Stokes and uh, a lot of threes from Amanda Zowie B, but it was surprising to me to at least see those two players starting together. Yeah, it was surprising to me. And actually, the most surprising thing about that lineup was Sabrina Unescu not really starting at point guard. She was playing off the ball a lot. Yeah, Clarendon predominantly running the offense with those two in the game, and they were really good at it. You know, Clarendon was very effective in terms of getting to the basket, getting to the free throw line. We'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. And Sabrina playing more of an off-ball role while those two shared the floor together. Now, I, I think... Like I said, the, obviously, most people wanted to see Sabrina Ionescu, and that's what made this such an enticing matchup, her going against the arguably the greatest point guard of all time in Sue Bird. But, you know, the Seattle Storm, they, uh, they got a pretty good player back in Panis Stewart, uh, coming off an Achilles injury. Uh, they also got, you know, obviously Sue Bird back. She sat out last season. Uh, we were very high on the Storm in our preseason uh, previews or overviews, whatever you want to call it. And uh, for the most part, I think they, they showed that they were legit. Yeah, I would say, you know, the offense for Seattle was not really kind of what we left off with in, in 2018 in terms of the beautiful game, all the sort of passing and cutting and, and really just kind of the ball humming around the gym. But defensively, I mean, they were great today. You know, granted, sure. it, it's a, a limited roster that, that they were up against, but I think they forced something like 20% turnover rate against the Liberty today. Uh, if I'm kind of doing my math correctly here, which is outstanding, you know, they really were 
you know, trapping high ball screens, particularly with Sabrina. There were a couple of plays where, you know, Brianna Stewart picked the pocket of Justin Willoughby and kind of got out in transition. And I think defensively, they, they were really all over the place. I think they had a couple weird games from some individual contributors offensively, but, but defensively they were monsters out there. Yeah, I think that was to be expected, especially from a, a team with Gary Kloppenberg, who is, who is known to be a, an aggressive defensive coach. I mean, Storm recorded 15 steals, uh, and we talked about it on our Storm overview. The, the amount of length and versatility on this Storm roster, at least as defensively, uh, is concerned. If you've got Brianna Stewart and Natasha Howard in the front court, um, and then Jordan Canada, who got to play some pretty good minutes. Uh, she actually played more than her, her uh, veteran counterpart, Sue Bird. You're going to create a lot of havoc on that end of the floor combined with the youth and relatively uh, disorganized nature of the New York Liberty. It was just, it was just a recipe for, for chaos. Yeah. So you, you mentioned Canada. Let, let's go to our counterpoint. Uh, what did you think about Sabrina's inaugural WNBA game? Um, I wasn't surprised by much, honestly. I, I, I think we could all see Seattle. They were going to, they're going to go at her. You know, not just because she's a rookie, but because she is the rookie. They've got a point to prove. And uh, when you're going up against a, a lead guard in her first WNBA game, you want to make things uncomfortable for her. I think I actually liked uh, Walt Hopkins' decision to start Sabrina alongside Leisha Clarendon because, you know, when, you're, when a point guard's first coming out of the college game and, and she's used to having so much of the offense run through her, it can be a little daunting, right? Especially against such an aggressive and just chaotic defense like Seattle runs out. But UNESCO was able to kind of come in there with not so much pressure, maybe. I mean, she shot four for 17 from the field, and that's not great. She missed all eight of her three-point attempts. I don't expect that to be a trend. She did have four turnovers to four assists, but she did make a few nice moves on offense. Like, she was able to uh, beat Natasha Howard on a switch and get all the way to the basket. I think she kind of maybe settled a little bit, you know, as far as her shot selection is concerned. But, I mean, that's to be expected, you know. I, I was I was fairly impressed. Yeah, 12 points on 19 shooting possessions. You mentioned it 0 for 8 from 3. I thought that three-point shot looked good. You know, a couple of them really, like, rimmed in and out. And um, But, yeah, you mentioned it. She had some really nice moments. Had that nice hit-ahead pass in transition. Um, she was getting trapped a lot in those high pick-and-rolls, and they were really forcing it out of her hands, as opposed to, you know, when Lasia Clarendon was running pick-and-rolls, and they would just go under on, on Clarendon. You know, Sabrina did turn it over on a couple of those traps. Defensively, she got put in the goal a couple of times by Alicia Clark. You know, yeah. that, that's going to happen when you try to put it, when you try to hide a guard on Alicia Clark. You know, she will put your small player in the goal. Uh, but you mentioned that nice blow by on Howard. She also had a nice, a nice drive where she was able to get to the left baseline against Jordan Canada when Jordan Canada like switched onto her from like her right side. So she kind of had to go by the other defender you know Sabrina missed the reverse layup there but it was a really nice instance of kind of getting all the way to the rim those were really I think the only two instances over the course of the game where she was able to get all the way to the rim but we saw her hit a nice um, elbow jump shot and really Seattle threw a lot of different looks at her we saw Clark take a lot of possessions guarding her Jordan Canada of course uh, was an assignment on her for for long stretches uh, Sue Bird covered her for a little bit when Clarendon had just kind of left the game and it was still mostly starters versus starters, but it's not an amazing game statistically from Sabrina. Uh, certainly, I wouldn't think any reason to panic, you know what I mean? The the folks that are maybe 
huge fans of other rookies in this class kind of taking a victory lap because Sabrina had a bad game. You know, I, <laughs> I would maybe slow that down a little bit. But yeah, she she was fine, I think. Yeah, no reason to panic at all. Uh, and you talked about Alicia Clark. I just want to uh, throw this out there. She did not hit a three-pointer, but she was able to post up UNESCO twice, I believe, and then score on her. She recorded six rebounds, four assists, and three steals. As we said, the non-all-star, all-star, Alicia Clark. Yeah, it was a great game from Clark, to be, to be sure. Um, I did just kind of want to touch on uh, Sabrina's backcourt mate there, Leisha Clarendon. Clarendon had a monster game, right? 20 points oh, on yeah. 14 shooting possessions. Got to the free throw line 12 times. That's a career high for Leisha Clarendon. Yes. Clarendon had only gotten double-digit free throw attempts twice in their career in uh, both times occurring in 2016 and Clarendon was really getting wherever they wanted to right all the way to the basket uh, a few nice backdoor cuts on Sue Bird um, and even really took it to Jordan Canada a couple times getting to the rim so you know a strong strong first game back after missing extended time with an ankle injury last season. Yeah Lacia Clarendon was super impressive I think they were the most impressive player on Liberty to be honest with you you mentioned the 12 free throw attempts Lacia Clarendon is a player, they're a strong guard for their size, obviously, and they will be looking to kind of put their body on the defender. And this was the most comfortable I've seen Lacia Clarendon play since their early days in Atlanta, to be honest with you. Um, they were just really good at, I think, pushing the pace, which is obviously what, what Walt Hopkins wants out of his lead guards. And like I said before, just taking the pressure off of Sabrina Ionescu um, you know, UNESCO doesn't have to initiate all the offense. I think, you know, they had, they had, her, uh, they had Kelly Graves, the uh, Oregon head coach, on um, for a little while. They had the little split screen action there. Yeah, please don't do that, ESPN. It was just really awkward and not good. Uh, I didn't like it. I don't think a lot of people liked it. But they don't listen to me, so whatever. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Graves said, yeah, well, she, Sabrina hasn't had a lot of playmaking opportunities so far. That's true, but again, like if you're the point guard coming in and you've got you're playing alongside six other rookies, I think and like you're not going to be competing this year, obviously, right? They they, they they know they're rebuilding, so I think having a vet like Leisha Clarendon play alongside Sabrina Unescu is is a good long term strategy. How about you? Yeah, I agree a hundred percent, and it it gives like Sabrina that nice balance of being able to play off the ball in kind of those starters minutes where maybe there's a higher level of competition. And then when, you know, it's second units on second units, um, Sabrina's really able to run the offense a little bit more and right. kind of get her sea legs under her. And, and I think that's a really smart way to approach it for Walt Hopkins, uh, who, you know, obviously his team got blown out today, but I was, you know, really impressed with a lot of the things New York was running. Um, and, and I think, you know, the, the future's bright, obviously. Definitely not done talking about them yet. Kind of want to get into a, a few other topics here with the Liberty um, specifically, like, what did you think about the game from Amanda Zowie B? Uh, mixed bag. You know, I, I think, uh, first of all, she's in terrific shape. You know, all, all the props to Amanda Zowie B. She has, she's gotten ter in terrific conditioning. Um, she's in great basketball shape. She, she played four, uh, 24 minutes, but I think she could have gone for like 30, really. Uh, I think her awareness is still not where it needs to be on like both ends of the floor. She had a few pretty bad turnovers and like, I don't think her shot selection was it. She did shoot a lot of open three pointers, but here's, here's the difference. I think Seattle was okay with that. Seattle's game plan. It felt to me like they were, they were dictating a lot of the action on defense, whereas New York was more passive on defense. Um, and I think part of the game plan from Seattle was 
okay, if they run a pick and pop with, with Zoe B, don't, you know, it's okay. It's okay if she shoots that open three. She went two for seven. Um, we saw a game last season in which the Sparks basically ignored her, and she just went off. She, I forget how many three-pointers she hit, but it was a lot. Um, I want to say she was like seven for eight. In that it game. was something really ridiculous, and, uh, but she was not able to really replicate that performance any other game last season. So I think until she consistently knocks that pick-and-pop shot down, I know we talked about the synergy stats are very favorable for her on pick-and-pops, but I think teams are going to continue to do this. Otherwise, I mean, she had a couple block shots, but I still don't think she's where she needs to be as far as a rim protector either. Um, but, I mean – she did get eight rebounds, um, team's leading rebounder. I don't know. What, what do you think is that would be her game? Yeah, I think a mixed bag is, is fair. Um, you know, you, you mentioned a lot of kind of what I would have hit on as well in terms of just her awareness, particularly like defensively, you know, offensively, she definitely takes some shots that maybe I wouldn't want her to take. But I feel like in this game specifically, like she made the ones where I was like, oh, I don't know, and then kind of missed the wide open ones hit kind of some of the long twos with someone with a a defender in her face and then uh, did not really perform all that well from, from three, Uh, you know, defensively, she did only have one foul kind of gave up an end one, but other than that, you know, it's hard to foul when you're not in the area. Right. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I I think I'm a little more tepid on Zowie B than a lot of other uh, folks out there. And I thought today was kind of, you know, not super encouraging for the Amanda Zowie B is going to be a superstar crowd. But I, I don't really have a ton of to say about Kia Stokes. It was nice to see her out there. She had some minutes. I did kind of want to get your feel on what you thought of some of the non-Sabrina Liberty rookies. They have rookies besides Sabrina? Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> they have six other ones. Okay. Um, okay, so I'm just going to run through the box score here. Uh Jocelyn Willoughby, um, if y'all listen to my season, uh, our season prediction uh, episode, I had her on my all-rookie team. I was pretty encouraged by her. I mean, I, I thought her three-point shot looked really, real, like, looked really smooth, and we knew she was going to be a really strong force going to the basket, um, but she was kind of out of control a few times. I think she, she committed a clear offensive foul that was, you know, like not even close. Um, what, I, what was encouraging for me for Jocelyn Willoughby was that Hopkins was pretty comfortable putting her on larger players because of that strength. And especially, you know, with Kia Nurse being out, we still haven't addressed this, but, you know, Kia Nurse, she played just over nine and a half minutes and she exited the game with what appeared to be an ankle sprain. Um, so Willoughby, I think, is going to get a lot of burn in, in the coming games uh, with, with Nurse on the mend and with, uh, you know, Asia Durr not, not there, with Megan Walker still recovering from COVID. And I think she's going to get a lot of room to operate. Because right away, she's going to give you that player, that player who can play the two, the three, or the four, who can, either, who can like both bully smaller players on the perimeter or maybe take larger players off of the dribble. And that's a pretty good thing they have. Um, I think her floor game could be a little better. You know, turnovers were a problem for Willoughby in college. She's not going to be a big distributor in the pros either, I don't think. But I was pretty impressed by her game. Then Liana, Liana Odom, who I, I like her skill set. I like her frame because she moves very fluidly for a player of her size and like a player with her, with her length. Um, she played 28 minutes. Again, I think a lot of that was at the three because nurse was out. And yeah, you know, I think she, she played a lot more second half minutes than first. Yes. Yeah, she played a lot in the second half. Um, mixed bag. Again, she did have a few pretty bad turnovers. Uh, her jump shot looks really weird, but she did, she did hit a nice three. She did hit a, hit a nice three pointer. I think the potential is there for her for sure. Kylie shook and Joyner Holmes. I was not very impressed with either of them. I think shook, uh, she just really got kind of taken advantage of. Sorry, it just looked like she was a step slow. 
on both ends of the floor. She didn't really contribute much, you know, two points, two fouls in just under 12 minutes of play, one rebound, not much to speak of. Joyner Holmes missed all four of her shots. She did have three assists and three rebounds, but again, I'm still not very high on her because of like the two point percentage just was never there in college. And I don't know. You know, for, I, for I Holmes, think, if I can jump in, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry if you had more. No, no, no. Okay. For, for Holmes, I was just going to say, you know, the one aspect that people seem to be really high on her pushing in transition, that was, I think, an encouraging sort of piece in this first game. You know, she did get some grab and goes that I thought looked okay. Uh, you know, she didn't finish for herself, obviously, but really, really pushed the basketball there. And I think that's um, encouraging. Uh, in terms of Jocelyn Willoughby, uh, you know, the first player off the bench for New York. Did, did that surprise you at all that she was the first player off the bench? No, because I thought she'd be starting. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, and I think going forward, she will be starting. You know, it's, you made a good point that they started their four like veteran players. I don't think that was a coincidence, but obviously now with Kia Nurse being injured, we don't know what the prognosis on her is. Uh, but I think Walt Hopkins has to make a decision now. It's either go with three guards or, or Jocelyn Willoughby at the three. I think she was the best non-UNESCO rookie. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would say so. I think she, in my opinion, it's it started off a little rocky for Jocelyn Willoughby oh, yeah. oh, in yeah. the early part of this game. Um, she had a couple bad shots off the dribble. You know, she had her pocket picked by Brianna Stewart once. Um, but I thought she settled in pretty well. It's very easy to see how this player would become a quality WNBA player. Oh, you know, wasn't amazingly efficient, nine points on nine shooting possessions, but that's pretty good. Obviously overmatched in her defensive assignments, you know, <laughs> as she was playing largely the four and guarding, you know, terrific players. But she she looked like she belonged, to be sure. You know, um, one thing I want to, I want to, I have in my notes here, this might be kind of a trying season for a lot of these rookies because, you know, we heard the term positionless basketball getting thrown around, thrown around a lot in Liberty camp. Um, I think Clarendon had a quote where they said something like, yeah, I've been playing at the four or something like that. Obviously, you know, people say things in training camp, people say things, but it didn't really seem to me like the Liberty had much of a rotation. You know, like what is the Liberty's rotation? I was not expecting Shook and Holmes to basically play the same amount. I wasn't expecting Odom to play that much at the three. Of course, nurse's injury made it pretty much a necessity, but what do you think about this? Like, you know, the Liberty want to play versatile, but this seems like kind of a chaotic environment, no? To be honest, I don't really have the fourth quarter substitution patterns in, in front of me, and that's kind of what I would want to see to really make a determination because that was largely like garbage time, and maybe that's where specifically Joyner Holmes got a lot of those minutes. Um, I'm not too sure about that. But what one thing I did want to touch on, though, is that up until like midway through the fourth quarter, they were very careful with regards to kind of putting their rotations together for always having one veteran on the floor. We, we did not see an all-rookie lineup until about five minutes left to go in the fourth quarter. And you kind of have to do that if you're Walt Hopkins, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they, they don't really have a true center that, that could really play any sort of like defensive center in terms of, you know, protecting the rim and, and having help responsibilities, I think. You know, as you mentioned, not a great first game for, for Shook. You know, I'm sure she's going to improve and have very good games in the near future, but uh, this particular outing was not too encouraging. In those more rookie-heavy lineups, you know, the Liberty did try to run a zone. Didn't really see that as a particularly effective strategy, but you might as well try it, particularly, you know, with a Seattle offense that was trying to kind of find its footing a little bit more. And one thing I wanted to talk about while we're still 
before we transition maybe to the Seattle aspect was, you know, the Liberty were down eight to start the second quarter. It was 24 to 16. And I really like that Walt Hopkins just went back to his starters to start the second quarter to try to make up the difference against Seattle's bench. And it worked. You know, they immediately went on an 8-0 run to tie the game and were pretty competitive for most of the rest of that second quarter. It did. That was, you're right. That was, that lineup change absolutely paid off. And I was impressive. They actually did take the lead there for a little while. Um, didn't last long. Uh, and the game really got away from them in the second half. But it, yeah, you know, it, it did show that, you know, Hopkins, he wasn't messing around. You know, he, he wanted to compete. This isn't just a, a scorched earth rebuild. You know, he, he wants to set the tone. And uh, yeah, that was good strategy. Yeah, unfortunately, in that early stretch in the second quarter, this is where Kia Nurse suffered her injury, uh, went over the back of Mercedes Russell, deflecting a pass into the hands of Amanda Zowie B as Russell was cutting down the middle of the lane. It, I think it was reported as an ankle injury. When you were watching it, it, it really kind of looked like it could have been a, a very serious knee injury. So hopefully that's not the case. I, I wrote down ACL question mark as soon as it happened. It did not look pretty, but... Uh, was reported as an ankle sprain, and, and hopefully she'll be back on the court sooner rather than later. Yeah, that's a real bummer. Um, it looked bad because of her reaction. You know, I, I think a lot of times when players, they suffer those really bad knee injuries or those Achilles injuries, like they know. Yeah. They're down there. You know, they said Kia Nurse was, was crying, um, and she was obviously very distraught, as were the viewers who were suspecting the worst as well. So, yeah, hopefully they can get that taken care of. Hopefully she's only out for a limited amount of time. So, um Best wishes, of course, to Kia Nurse and the New York Liberty for a speedy recovery. So Seattle, Brianna Stewart looked pretty good. She did look good, yeah. Uh, she kind of wasn't, I think, an amazing game from Brianna Stewart for her own standpoint, but she pretty much, you saw everything you needed to see, right? She scored from the inside. She scored from three-point range. She scored from mid-range. Like She was very good defensively, in my opinion. There were maybe some of the more, like, finer aspects of her game where she would kind of launch on the move or something like that that weren't really present in this particular game but it didn't really have to be uh you know she had some really nice moves down low including that um sweet up, up and under i think it was on jocelyn willoughby it was definitely yeah. on one of the rookies i forget which one but overall 18 points on 14 shooting possessions and forced a couple turnovers got out in transition so you know, I saw pretty much everything you would need to see in, in having questions about a player's health. Uh, obviously, you want to kind of see, you know, that, that kind of quick turnaround that we're going to see more than ever in, in this particular season. But uh, amazingly enough, also, I thought this was interesting. She was the last starter to sub out of the game in this game. She played the first eight minutes and 45 seconds of this game before sitting. Yeah, she played the most minutes of any Seattle uh, player, 28 minutes. Of course, due to the uh, the blowout nature late in the game, you know, that, that figure wasn't higher, but she looked, she looked like she was still trying to establish her footing a little bit, but the far more important thing is that she looked healthy. Um, she was, she was moving great. You know, she was, she was taking those spot up three pointers with confidence. She was making all sorts of moves down low. She looked like a player who could, who could carry a team and be an MVP candidate again. So nothing but good news there. Um, What'd you think about Jewel Lloyd's game? Because she kind of got banged up a little bit, but she was playing pretty well before she got hurt. Yeah, I was very encouraged by Jewel Lloyd's game. Able to take more of a tertiary role, right? With Sue Bird back, with Brianna Stewart back, was more kind of playing a game where she's coming off screens instead of really having to um, just specifically sort of make things happen in the pick and roll. But even when she did kind of get the ball on the move, she got into the paint, she got to the line a couple times. Uh, 14 points on 10 shooting possessions for Jew Lloyd. And, and I was very encouraged. Obviously she did go down 
but I, I thought she played good defense on Kia Nurse in those limited minutes. So I really wouldn't have anything negative to say about Juliet's game today. What, what did you think? I thought she was very efficient. She, her her movement was very efficient, and by that I mean you know she didn't it didn't seem like the ball stuck in her hands too often. Uh, her defense was great, as you mentioned, three steals, uh, three of the many steals that the Storm recorded. And you said the tertiary role. I mean, I think that's a great role for Jewel Lloyd. Nothing against her, of course. She, she, do, she did what she had to do and, and played a higher volume role last season. But now that Sue Bird and Brianna Stewart are back and, and kind of Natasha Howard kind of slid over there into that uh, more tertiary role as uh, like a defensive player, Jewel Lloyd kind of settled into her tertiary role as an offensive player. I don't think you need Jewel Lloyd to be stopping the basketball and going one-on-one and, and taking these crazy fadeaway two-point jumpers. You know, she's, she is a player who can play within a system. She can hit those threes coming off of screens. She can cut to the basket and kind of take advantage of athletic mismatches. And as, as Brianna Stewart gets more and more comfortable, gets her legs underneath her again, I think it's only going to benefit Jewel Lloyd. Yeah, Jewel Lloyd, I would say, was overtaxed last season as a play creator. And today she was able to thrive as a play finisher, right? as we kind of mentioned before, was able to just kind of hit some nice catch and shoots coming off the screen or, or standing in the corner or when the lane was there, really take it to the basket. So definitely very encouraged by Jewel Lloyd. Um, but another player that you mentioned who I thought had kind of a weird game, the reigning defensive player of the year, Natasha Howard. Did anything kind of stand out to you in Natasha Howard's game? I thought she played kind of poorly, to be honest with you. Uh she settled for a lot of shots on offense. She settled for that long baseline two-pointer a few times on offense. Um, she did make a, a few really nice plays on defense early, but it didn't seem like she really ever wanted to establish herself on offense against a New York front line that would have been overmatched, I think. Yeah, I, I would categorize it as like a weird game for her. Yeah, right? like yeah. six, six points on seven shooting possessions. She really missed some bunnies like right around the basket. Uh, I think she went like one for two on, on those like uh, baseline jumpers that you were talking about. Had a couple of travels, like a bad pass turnover. Yeah, I feel like she just wasn't really assertive offensively. You know, defensively, I thought she was very effective. A very easy opportunity, I think, for this particular roster that they were going up against for her to be a very active help defender. You know, I don't think anyone's worried about either Kia Stokes or Amanda Zowie B. Uh, you know, lighting up from three-point range, whether they're standing out there all game or not. Um, so I, I thought she did have a pretty good defensive game, uh, as did Seattle as a whole. But, you know, offensively, it was just, uh, you know, a feeling out game, maybe, if we can chalk it up to. The one thing that stood out to me is that she and Brianna Stewart did not seem to be on the same page. I think there are a couple of, of bad pass turnovers between them that went, like, either way. Like, Stewart threw it away when she was trying to go to Howard. Howard threw it away when she was trying to go to Stewart. Um, but... Again, that's probably to be expected, considering they, they haven't played with each other in, in almost two years now. So, yeah, weird game. Weird game. How about yeah. this bench? Like, there's a, lot of, there's a lot going on in the Seattle bench. Some good, some bad. Uh, where do you want to start with that? So, I want to start with – so, Crystal Langhorn was the second big off the bench in the first half after Mercedes Russell, who we'll get to momentarily. Um, but then essentially didn't play again until garbage time. And, and it was really uh, Ezzy time playing yeah. those fourth big minutes. Uh, she was the fourth big kind of in between garbage time and, and that first stint for Crystal Langhorn, where I didn't think Langhorn was particularly effective. And as these minutes looked pretty promising, you know, she didn't really do all that much offensively, uh, did score a couple baskets. I, I think I remember one specifically on the left block, but I thought she showed a lot of promise defensively, particularly sticking with switches, particularly on Sabrina Unesco a couple times. Right. 
yeah, there was that one play when she just completely bottled off Sabrina. You know, she she forced her to lose the dribble and and I was it a shot clock violation or did, did Seattle come up with the steal? I forgot. I don't remember. But she did completely bottle up UNESCO on the switch, which was extremely impressive considering we just saw Sabrina get by the reigning defensive player of the year, Natasha Howard. But yeah, Ezzy Magwiger was very efficient in her 12 minutes on the floor. Um, you said she didn't have a big offensive game, but I don't really think they need that from her. You know, she's like we said before, she's a young player who is obviously going to have an athletic advantage against most other bench bigs. So all they need for her to do is run the floor, make smart decisions with the basketball, and get some rebounds. And I think she did all three of those things. Yeah. You know, ideally, I hope in matchups against more talented teams, more experienced teams, that the Ezzy Russell lineups don't play too many minutes together. You know, I think they should both play, to be sure, probably. Uh, and we'll get to, to Morgan Tuck momentarily, who did not play. She was probably with the knee injury. I, I guess there really isn't more to say about that. But, you know, I think Ezzy and Russell should both be fixtures in this rotation, probably, um, you know, depending on Tuck's health. But I think you're you're going to get really cramped if both of them are playing together, and you should make sure one of Howard or Stewart are on the court with the other one at all times. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I definitely agree. Or you could even go small with Alicia Clark at the four, maybe. But yeah, if if you're having uh, both Mercedes Russell and Ezzy Magwiger on the floor, um, spacing is not going to be one of your strengths. Russell did hit, I think, one of those or maybe two of the long two pointers, but I don't think that's a game, a part of her game that should be featured very extensively. Uh, However, I thought she did pretty decent in her time on the court. I thought she had a very good defensive game, and she's a very good defensive player. She took some really questionable shots, in my opinion. Like, I'm not sure there should ever be a reason for her to take three dribbles before shooting. Like, she had a couple post-up hooks where she really tried to go at, uh, I think it was Zowie B. Uh, she had another, like, push shot from the mid-range. And offensively, I, I don't know if it was a, a situation where she's, you know, a bench player now, so she thinks, like, there's – more scoring needed from her in those lineups. But, you know, defensively, I think she is a very solid, solid player. And offensively, again, this is one game. It's the opening game of all games. So, like, obviously, there's just kind of some rust to shake off for everyone. But yeah. um, I thought there were just some weird moments with Mercedes Russell. If you were to pick one of these Seattle bench bigs to come into the game first, who would it be? Um, it would be Russell. I think... I mean, I just ha I've seen Ezzy play like 14 minutes or whatever it was in her career. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, fair. Yeah. Um, Crystal Langhorn, I think, is pretty toast. Um, Morgan Tuck, you know, is pretty hit and miss. Mercedes Russell, I think, is a legitimately low end starting center to very good backup center. We'll we'll see kind of what Ezzy's young career again. She's in her age 20 season, I think. We'll, kind of where that goes, but Mercedes Russell, I think, is a very solid center in this league. How about uh, how about your main girl, Jordan Canada? Um, well, you start. What, what did you think of Jordan oh, Canada's game? I start. Okay. I mean, I thought it was a very Jordan Canada-esque game. Some bad shots taken, but also some really impressive pace and very tenacious perimeter defense. Um, again, she's in there to totally flip the game, flip the offense on its head, where Sue Bird is the methodical four-spacing point guard. Jordan Canada is the havoc-inducing, uh, thunderous pace you know, pistol. Uh, I was kind of disappointed with her shot selection, um, especially that three-pointer that got absolutely nothing. And it's like the long twos, like she made them, but that's not, if I'm a defense, that's a shot I'm just fine with Jordan Canada taking. But she drew a few fouls. Uh, she got four assists in 20 and a half minutes of play. She was decent. I mean, it was Jordan Canada. 
Yeah, she, I mean, one thing I'll say about her is she really carried an otherwise struggling offense kind of midway through that second half. Overall, 10 points on 11, sh- on 11 shooting possessions. That's not amazing efficiency, but she did hit a couple of those nice mid-rangers that you were talking about around the elbow or so. She got to the rim a couple times. Uh, you know, there was that one where she went with her left hand that was pretty ugly, but she she hit some buckets when this team really needed them. And, you know, it was really fun watching her pressure up on Sabrina when those two matched up. Uh, that that three that she did, that she did take that uh, was like, I don't know if it was wide right or something, but it definitely didn't connect with anything at all. That's pretty discouraging. Uh, maybe we can chalk it up to the backdrop or something, but <laughs> it was a Jordan Canada game all, all in all. And, you know, I, I kind of wish that Sabrina had the ball in her hands more when those two were matched up, but just to kind of see that match up a little bit more. But I, I thought overall it was um, not overly promising, but certainly not discouraging in any way. And she kind of hit those, those important buckets. One thing I did want to talk about with regards to this bench rotation is, uh, and maybe this was just an, an element kind of missing Jewel Lloyd for those minutes uh, in between Jewel Lloyd taking that tough fall and her call, coming back kind of midway through the fourth, but Epiphany Prince playing more minutes than Sammy Wickham, kind of an interesting development. Yeah, I was not expecting Prince to play at all, actually. Um, but, you know, as we're going to talk about throughout our recaps, and I think it's going to be a theme throughout the season, uh, teams are going to run with these longer rotations. So maybe that's just the nature of the game here this season. But yeah, you know, Epiphany Prince gives them like a veteran combo guard who can play both positions. I don't know. I didn't really think she had that good of a game. She had a really nice spot up three pointer early on. But other than that, I don't think she was that good. Did, were you impressed with her at all? Not particularly. You know, I think maybe the thinking with Seattle was like they just needed a little bit more creation when Lloyd was dealing with her back issue. But she also like came into the game before Sammy Wickham in the first half, which was well before Jewel Lloyd took that tough fall. So overall, like I, I'm not very encouraged by like a Prince Canada pairing. Like I I don't think that's going to be effective over the course of the season. You know, like you said, I think teams are going to roll out every player they got, especially early on to, you know, get these players wins back and, um, just make sure that, you know, everyone is staying healthy and all that. But I was not super encouraged by what we saw from Epiphany Prince today. And it's a small backcourt, too. I know we, we talk so much about Jordan Canada's defense, but when you're putting out both Jordan Canada and Epiphany Prince, teams are going to take advantage of that physically. Yeah. Anything else you kind of wanted to touch on with this game? I guess we should talk about Sue Bird, her first game back. What did you think about that? Yeah, Sue Bird, pretty, uh, pretty decent player. Uh, <laughs> I think it was a sight for sore eyes. You know, for one, okay, I just got to say something. The Liberty kept going under the screen versus Sue Bird, and I don't know why. That's that's not a good strategy, in my opinion. You know, like I said, they're they're pretty passive on defense, considering like concerning ball screens, and Sue Bird made him pay. I think she hit a, a couple three pointers when they went under the screen, but otherwise, I think it was just a steady game from a veteran floor general who was able to take some much needed time off in the second half because the lead was so great. Yeah, that was promising to see. You mentioned Canada's, you know, the minute disparity there. Yeah, Sue Bird, she had her moments. You know, I don't think she was amazing in this game. She definitely got beat defensively a few times. You know, Lasia Clarendon got her on a backdoor cut uh, early in the game, but she was fine. As you mentioned, sight for sore eyes to be sure. Five assists, no turnovers. I think that's pretty pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. Okay. Do you have anything else to add about this game? I think we pretty much covered it. A lot of travels, pretty tight whistle. Yeah. Um, uh, something we'll get to in the next game too, but 36 personal fouls between the two teams uh, in the game. We're, we're about to talk about 40 fouls in this one. So a lot, lot of fouls being called. 
Yeah, as they say, you ain't seen nothing yet because uh, this next game, the LA Sparks and the Phoenix Mercury, it was a close game at halftime. The Sparks are up 50-46. to 46. I feel like uh, they're kind of going blow for blow. Pretty entertaining game. I, a lot of people, like, I was on Twitter for a lot of this game because I have no life uh, and I like being on Twitter. But it was – people were very encouraged by this by the start of this game compared to the previous one because it was two really good teams or so we project and – they're both really going at it. Second half, not so close. Sparks went on a 30-8 to run in the third quarter. They ended up winning 99-76. to Their largest lead was 31 points. Um, they scored 113.8 points per 100 possessions. The Mercury only scored 88.4 points per 100 possessions. That is a differential of 25.4. It was even sloppier than the first game. There were 45 total turnovers. Wow. So, again, extremely preseason-y. Steven, where do you start with this one? Well, I guess let's, let's start early, right? Brittany Griner scored the first four points for Phoenix uh, and then picked up two fouls in yeah. the first two oh, and a half so. minutes of the game. Um, yeah. I couldn't really tell really what happened on the first foul. Maybe she was like holding Candace Parker as, as Parker was driving to the basket. Um, and then the second one was a moving screen. Unless you really hip check someone, I, I think that should be a violation. Don't you love those screen. moving screens? I don't. I really don't. Um, and then, you know, once she kind of came back into the game to start the second quarter, I thought that LA was really crowding the paint a lot more. You know, that first possession that she had where she went to the block against Gumake, they, they played one-on-one defense, and then they really didn't allow Griner to play offensively against one-on-one defenses uh, any further after that. So, you know, over the the course of the game one thing I just kind of wanted to say was like the Skylar Diggins Smith who we'll get to a little bit later the the Diggins Smith grinder pick and roll was like not a particularly effective weapon for them like LA was really selling out a lot of defenders to crowd the paint and Phoenix is going to have to make some roster adjustments because they have the players that can make that space more open and they are choosing to play players who are not spacing the floor adequately enough so yeah i think we're going to be on the same wavelength here uh with this game um i can just i can just take it from there pick and rolls generally do not work too well if you do not surround your picker and roller with shooting and uh the mercury did not do that they started nia coffee which i was very surprised at she only played nine minutes did not a heck of a lot no points three rebounds one assist and one turnover no defensive plays and then from there on, it was like a hodgepodge of Bria Hartley, Sophie Cunningham, and Shatori Walker-Kimbrough. I don't know, Steven. This Phoenix offense, particularly in the second half, it just looks like it didn't really play to its strengths. And that is, you know, establishing Brittany Griner in the post. Granted, her, her foul trouble did kind of throw that off a little bit. And actually, I think she could, she could have been easily been in foul trouble even more so like in the first half, because I think there was one play, I forget who it was, I think it was on Rashonda Gray, where she pretty clearly brought her arms. She she broke verticality, and they didn't call foul. Brittany Griner they... broke verticality? Yeah, I know it's shocking, but uh, I'm pretty sure that was Brittany Griner <laughs> who wasn't staying straight up, but they were they weren't going to give her that call. But yeah, and then they started Brianna Turner next to her. I think we both like Brianna Turner, but offensively, probably not the best fit next to BG. And, you know, Diana Tarazi was healthy, but didn't really have a Dinah Chirazi-esque game. I don't know. This Mercury just offense just just seemed like a mess. Yeah, so a couple of things I just wanted to say up top. Like, for all the people that are like, well, you can't start Skylar Diggins-Smith, Diana Taurasi, and Bree Hartley together because those are their three 
ball handlers, and, and then you would have no one coming off the bench. Just stagger your rotation. You can stagger your rotation to where one of those players comes out early or even two of those players come out early, and then they come back in to do the ball handling duties with bench lineups. It's, it's very easy to do. Basketball teams have been doing it for a very long time. You don't have to have someone come off the bench just because they have one particular skill set. Like, <laughs> but one other thing I was going to say, like if Brittany Griner is going to give this level of effort defensively, you know, along with the other players they have on this roster, like Sandy Brandello should just, she'd be better off just playing all offensive lineups. Like don't yeah. bother playing Kia Vaughn at power forward. Like that's not going to give you any defense anyway. Just play Sophie Cunningham, play Alana Smith, like play the players that are actually going to make life easier for your good players instead of the players that are going to make life more difficult for your good players. You know, I play, I play Shatori Walker Kimbrough more. Yeah, for sure. I thought she adjusted, not adjusted because this is the role she's been playing in Washington, but she looked really comfortable in that off ball role. And it kind of looks like, uh, unfortunately, in my opinion, that in terms of sort of what it is that she's going to bring to the table for this team, like, you know, you were uh, more right in the assessment for her than, than I was, you know, it looks like she's just going to kind of be a spot up player for them. Yeah. I was hoping she would have a little bit more to do offensively, but she looks good in that spot up role. You know, I do think she has a little bit more uh, pick and roll chops and, and dribble chops than kind of what she has been given to do in Washington and, and in this first game in Phoenix. But uh, she looked good. She hit some threes and was really, you know, kind of part of the lineup that really got them back into it after being down double digits um, in the second quarter. I mean, Shatori Walker Kimbrough, I think, is their best possible option on the wing as far as like a two way player is concerned. She does give up some size, but in this particular instance, I mean, the Sparks started T.R. Ruffin Pratt, who took some questionable shots in, uh, on matchups that were supposed to be in her favor physically. So that's a player who you, who you can hide a smaller defender on, right? And Three-point shooting, I don't, think it's, I don't think it's close. I mean, I think she's a better shooter than Cunningham. I know she's a better shooter than Nia Coffey because Nia Coffey, like, literally did not shoot in this game. Um, and, you know, Bria Hartley played 29 minutes, not very effective. You know, five turnovers, the five assists. Five turnovers. This team turned the ball over 27 times. 27. Phoenix had a 31% turnover percentage today. That's that bad. Is very discouraging. Uh, and a lot of that came from those backup units. Bria Hartley, really a mixed bag. I thought she had some very promising moments. You know, she had that really nice pass in the pick and roll where she found Kia Vaughn on that bounce pass for an easy layup. You know, she hit some threes. She drew that three-point foul or three-shot foul on kind of that bailout foul. I don't know really what they were thinking there uh, right. on that foul. Um, but, yeah, very, very much a mixed bag for Bria Hartley. I mean, overall for Phoenix, it really didn't matter kind of what they were doing defensively. Like the lane was wide open. LA was getting into the paint whenever they wanted 40 points in the paint in this game. Uh, Yikes. It was, it was a kind of a disaster defensively for Phoenix. And, and that's kind of, you know, bringing me back to, you know, if, if this is kind of what you're going to get out of your quote unquote defensive players, like just, just go for offense and hope that your, your good players have enough to carry you offensively. And I think, uh, in some ways, we saw some really promising signs from some of their offense-oriented players. You know, Skylar Diggins-Smith in particular, I thought, had some really nice moments getting to the she basket. Was good. Yeah, she was good. And Diana Taurasi did not have a particularly good day from the field, but hit a couple shots from the field, was able to get to the free throw line effectively. So, 
you know, just space the floor for those players and, and see if you can kind of, if offense can kind of carry the way. You know, what strikes me about this Phoenix roster, they paid Bria Hartley. People talk about, people have been talking about this ever since it happened. They paid her a lot of money this offseason. Um, and they also signed the veteran Kia Vaughn to play backup, you know, whatever you want to call it, four or five. I didn't like the Vaughn Griner lineup either. I think Vaughn's place in this team is strictly a, a backup five or a backup backup five at this point in your career. If they did, if they don't do one of those moves, they could be, they could carry one more player. It seems like that's kind of something that they need right now because they got worse as this game went on. They didn't get better. They got worse. It just seemed like they were, I don't know. I don't know if it was fatigue or the sparks were just dictating more of the action going forward. I think the sparks have more depth. I don't think that's, that's much of a question, but Phoenix just kind of, ran out of gas and the sparks really took it to the mercury only had nine possessions in transition nine of their 95 possessions were in transition we like transition possessions possessions on this show um phoenix didn't do that nearly enough and the thing about this is steven i don't think phoenix has much more room to improve defensively than they were showed today well i mean they better because <laughs> today was a disaster but one, one thing i kind of wanted to get back to that you were talking about like the vaughn griner lineup that is just that's not going to cut it they played together a lot in the second half and that kia vaughn was overmatched guarding candace parker like never mind once she got matched up against simone augustus who was phenomenal in this game yeah. 14 points on six shooting possessions, six for six from the field for Simone Augustus. And she had some really nice moments uh, off ball, like had a really nice flare out on a very long two as like the second screener in a Spain pick and roll, had another catch and shoot three uh, early in the game on a dish from a Neka Gumake roll on a pick and roll with Chelsea Gray. But once she got Kia Vaughn on her, like she was cooking, like that is not something that's going to fly. Why are you playing Kia Vaughn at the four? It's, it's like... Okay, so it's 2020, I, I believe. Look at my, yeah, 2020. First of all, Elliot Crow and Simone Augustus for this game. I didn't think she had much to offer anymore. She had a terrific game offensively. Putting Kia Vaughn on Simone Augustus is not a good idea in 2020. It was not a good idea in 2012, certainly. It's definitely, it's still not a good idea in 2020. I, I'm not sure where they got that from. Um, was it like bad communication or something? I, I don't even know. Well, it was, you know, play after play. Obviously, you know, Augustus was, I guess, kind of the nominal four in those lineups, but you, you got to go with another option there, man. Yeah. Like, you have some kind of more small ball option. Like, is Alana Smith really going to do worse defensively? And she's obviously a, a, a better offensive player in, in that configuration, you know, giving some more room for, for your big there. So uh, very, very confusing. And, and I think the frustrating thing is, like, there are – lineup combinations that I think could be really promising for Phoenix. Sure. Um, you know, I think I'm a little bit maybe higher on Sophie Cunningham than you are as an offensive player. Alana Smith, you know, nominally spaces the floor. Like she's at least getting guarded out there for now. If she continues to not hit shots, maybe she won't be like, I think the floor can be spaced adequately with the right combination. And they just kind of weren't going with those combinations. You mentioned kind of the Brianna Turner thing that was not as encouraging today as it was last season where you know pretty much whenever Griner touched the ball last season you know Turner was able to sort of find the front of the rim she was able to do that a couple times in this game but but not really with, with that much effectiveness and you know defensively Turner's a disaster I'm pretty sure she closes her eyes anytime she passes the ball you know it just kind of sailed oh. into the stands anytime she made a pass so Brianna Turner seems like she stands for a lot of things personally, and she seems like a really awesome person, but she had a very discouraging game in this game, and 
particularly, well, I shouldn't say particularly because it was offensively and defensively. Yeah, I mean, what, where should we go from here? I guess there are some Sparks players that we should talk about uh, unless you kind of wanted to talk about a little bit more of either Skylar Diggins-Smith or Diana Trossi. No, I mean, the Sparks, the Sparks played a great game, especially in the second half. Um, I'll say this now. I think Derek Fisher coached a decent game. So for as much as I, as I don't like Derek Fisher's coaching, I, think, I mean, they did, they did miss a two-for-one opportunity, which, which always annoys me. But, I mean, you mentioned it at the start. They single-covered Brittany Griner first, and then they quickly changed their strategy, and they started crowding her. And I thought that, was, that, di- that di- dictated the action on defense, and it made the Mercury uncomfortable. Uh, but as far as the Sparks players are concerned, um, one thing I was really looking for in this game um, was Candace Parker. How is she moving? How is she, you know, d- does she look healthy? Um, she looked healthy. Did she look healthy to you? She looked great. She yeah. was doing all the things that you wanted Candace Parker to do. She had some really nice drives. She hit a, a couple of nice pick and pop jumpers, you know, did get her shot blocked once on, on Kia Vaughn, but she was uh, very effective defensively, I thought. You know, anything you kind of wanted to see from Candace Parker to kind of figure out where she was from a health perspective, you know, it looked like those questions were answered. Yeah, I mean, she only played like 20 and a half minutes, but of course, due to the nature of the game, um, you know, looking at this box score, the minutes were very evenly distributed for the Sparks. Uh, I know we always say like Derek Fisher, he likes to play his large rotations, but again, I think that's going to be a theme for most coaches this season. And because of, you know, this, uh, the high scoring, you know, the Sparks had a huge lead he was able to get a lot out of his bench. Um, Raquanda Williams led the team with close to 29 minutes. You know, Neka Ogumake played 24. Candace Parker played a little over 20. But after that, he got a lot of his, a lot of his players' minutes. You know, he played both Taya Cooper and Sidney Weiss at the one. They both got point guard reps. Kristen Inigwe and Rashonda Gray both got some reps coming off the bench, as, 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 like in the post. Chelsea Gray didn't even have to play 20 minutes. That's, that's terrific. Anything you want to kind of hit on there? Yeah, I kind of wanted to talk about Chelsea Gray's game a little bit. You mentioned the low minutes, but I thought some very encouraging aspects of Chelsea Gray's game that I thought were, despite her all WNBA award last season, kind of got away from her a little bit. You know, she had four shots in the paint today, got one of those, uh, got a nice N1 on Skylar Diggins-Smith, like posting her up, turning and facing, and just like putting Skylar Diggins-Smith in the weight room. You know, that's obviously a size mismatch, and she did a really good job kind of using that to her advantage and got to the line on two other occasions, overall five for five from the free throw line. And that's what I'm looking to see from Chelsea Gray is getting into the paint and getting to the free throw line. A couple aspects of her game that have been really falling off over the past couple of seasons. You know, she did take a a bad pull-up jump shot or two that I didn't really love. And overall, I thought Phoenix was going under on those pick and rolls. and, And sometimes Gray was not really able to take advantage of that. But she had some really beautiful passes, including one bounce pass to Candace Parker in the pick and roll, you know, leading Parker on the right side with that bounce pass. That was that was one that kind of really stood out to me. Made some nice plays defensively where she really like timed up a steal on a Brittany Griner post up, you know, got there the second Griner brought the ball down on the dump in. So, you know, overall, a, a very, very encouraging game for Chelsea Gray. Granted, this is probably a very encouraging matchup for her, you know, there for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. There isn't really too much size on the perimeter that's going to stop Chelsea Gray. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what she looks like. If she's kind of still doing these things, obviously she's a terrific player, but we'll she, see if she's still doing these very promising specific aspects, you know, against like a Chicago or something where, where there's a more credible wing threat on her. But 
you know, really, I think the story of the game was Neko Gumake, right? We, we got to talk about her. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, Neko Gumake was terrific. Uh, eight of eight from the field, made both of her three-pointers, all three of her free-throw attempts, seven rebounds, two assists, a, and a steal to her name, plus 24 in the box score uh, in just 24 minutes. They said, you know, <laughs> on the broadcast, they were making such a big deal about her efficiency. She is, like, one of the most efficient players we've ever seen, and she's not showing any signs of slowing down. This was Neko Gumake at her best. 21 points on eight shooting possessions. You mentioned she was two for two from behind the line. Three and ones. The first half alone, she was 11 points for four shooting possessions. Just an incredible game on both ends for Neko Gumake. The one thing that really stood out is how she's able to expand her wingspan and finish over taller players. You know, Brittany yeah. Griner specifically around the basket. Just so impressive to be able to use that reach to kind of keep it out of the wingspan of the defending player. And then, of course, you know, just the strength to finish through those and ones. You know, she got wrapped up once by, I think it was Shatori Walker Kimbrough, and it, it just wasn't impeding her at all. You know, she just went straight up. An amazing 112.7 true shooting percentage <laughs> for Neko Gumake per WNBA.com. She got extra credit. I don't know if I told you this story, but I'm just going to say it again because I, I love telling it. This was during her MVP season. Uh, I got there a little early and I saw them warming up. I saw the Sparks assistant coaches when Neko Gumake was, uh, was practicing her, was doing her layup drill. They were actually holding her. They're actually trying to hold her back physically. So she's, she wants to play through contact. And if, it almost seemed like she wants to go up against a bigger player like Brittany Griner. She's not afraid of that wingspan because she's both – she's got the strength to shield, you know, Griner off, and she's got the patience and the footwork to make her move because, you know, she, she knows she has the, the speed advantage. She's not just, like, barreling into BG head first, you know, trying to draw the foul every single time. She knows where her, where her advantage is, and she takes her time to get it. And I can't say enough good things about Neko Gumake in the post. It's just – it's marvelous. So a couple quick things before we move on. You know, I was kind of over the course of this game in my own head, like clamoring for Alana Smith to, to come into the game as Kia Vaughn gets cooked repeatedly by Simone Augustus. Uh, Smith finally comes into the game in the second half, immediately gives up an offensive rebound to Neko Gumake, does not follow her at all to the opposite corner until yeah. Neko passes the ball out to the point guard, gets it back, hits a wide open three. You know, Alana Smith barely even makes any sort of effort to recover. Uh, um, so not a very promising sequence for her, but with that being said, over the course of this game, you know, Phoenix did go to the zone a couple times and maybe they should just do that, right? If they're just, you know, if no one's going to really kind of hustle, like at least stick Brittany Griner in the paint, have her step out every three seconds and at least make your low effort defense, you know, low opportunity for miscommunications, right? I think one, one aspect of this game that's worth mentioning uh, so it's early in the game, 16-13 Los Angeles, when Skylar Diggins-Smith checks out, she's the last of Phoenix's big three to check out. And at this point, I'm thinking, okay, LA is about to blow this game open, right? Phoenix starts out with a turnover that leads to a Sykes, a Sykes transition layup. Bria Hartley takes the three off the dribble that somehow gets called for a foul, hits two for <laughs> three. Before you know it, it's 2015. Hartley forces a turnover, then turns it over again, but... Walker Kimbrough hits a three, Hartley finds Kia Vaughn on that beautiful pick and roll I mentioned. And suddenly it's like 22-22 to end the first quarter. And that's, you know, they kind of got Phoenix back into the game with, with that lineup of Hartley, Walker Kimbrough, Cunningham, Smith. So, you know, three floor spaces around your point guard and Kia Vaughn against Augustus, Inigwe, TRP, Sykes, and 
Weiss slash Cooper, you know, Weiss kind of subbed in, in late there. So, you know, do more of that. Space the floor more. Give your offense a chance to really do something offensively. Uh, wanted to talk about a, a favorite of yours, not to get too much into the weeds here, but Christina Nigue. You know, another one of these games where I'm sure when you calculate it, she didn't have a high usage percentage, but it seems like every anytime she's out there, she just wanted the ball. Went one for two pretty much immediately after coming in, and then there was a turnover, which I don't think was probably credited to her, but she was, like, battling against a front, and the ball sailed over her head, and Rashonda Gray started the second quarter instead of Inigwe closing the first, and I thought Gray was just a lot better. Uh, had an offensive rebound in the first possession and just, you know, plays a much more controlled game. Yeah, I'm afraid Christina Nigue's pass button is still broken um, because you're right. She literally does. There was one instance in which she did not want to shoot the ball, and that was when she was beyond the three-point line and the clock was winding down. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I can't. I'll, I'll, I'll eat this one. Uh, Christina Nigue was not that good. It just seems like she's trying to, trying to do too much with time that she seems like she doesn't have enough of, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, that, that – Definitely sums it up, I think, correctly. You know, like, yeah, I mean, I feel like she's still used to being the dominant player in college where, you know, everything runs through her. She's going to get the ball in the post every single time, and she's going to be able to physically overwhelm her defender. That's not going to happen. Although I do think she still has, a, has an athletic advantage over many of these players who are guarding her. I mean, she just – she makes her moves too quickly. You know, it, it doesn't seem like she commits to anything on defense. Uh, the basketball IQ needs to improve. Yeah. I agree 100%. Anything else you got on this one? Uh, I hope Phoenix uh, Phoenix makes those relative those necessary adjustments because, uh, like, I think we were both we were both kind of tepid on them relative to the to most people, but not this not by this much. That's it. This well, was... let, let me ask you a question. Wh- which move would you like to see more? Cunningham more at the three or Smith more at the four? Uh, Walker Kimbrough more at the three. Oh, okay, that's fair. That, that's fair. Yeah. I think she's the best player of the three. I mean, honest, if you have to put, if you have to play one of those players more, I think it's Walker Kimbrough just because again, man, I, I cannot believe she shot so poorly for three seasons in Washington because like you saw those threes she took today, that, that, that shot was wet. Yeah. It looks pure. Yeah. So I, I think she's got to play. She's got to play, especially at the feet. Like you're going to be able to, to hide her. And she does also give you that, uh, that, you know, she can shoot the gaps and, and create some transition opportunities. Probably not many. I don't think Phoenix is ever going to be accused of being a, a transition team, but you got to get something out of that, you know? Yeah. And this is something we talked about a lot, but like uh, on our Phoenix episode, like Nia coffee's promising three point percentage, like it doesn't mean anything if you don't take threes, like if you're four yeah. for 10 over the course of a hundred years, like, yeah, you shot 40%, but you're not taking any and you're not being guarded out there. Uh, let's move on to Washington. Before okay. Let's move on. All right. <laughs> Okay, so another game, another blowout. Uh, this one was honestly not very close uh, from, like, the second quarter on. Uh, but the Mystics uh, defeated the Indiana Fever 101-76. to uh, That's right, the Mystics, who we said we're not, we're not sure if they're going to make the playoffs or not. Don't, don't go back and listen to that. Uh, Mystics put up an offensive rating of 118.8 points per 100 possessions. Fever just 91.6 points per 100 possessions. That's a net rating of 27.3. That's pretty ridiculous. Um, like I said, this game was kind of over early. Uh, the Mystics led by a score of 62 to 35 at halftime. They never looked back. They led by as many as 37 points. Um, they also controlled the glass by a margin of 41 rebounds to 28 rebounds. Despite the final score, like not being close at all, I thought there were a lot of interesting storylines in this one. Um, you want to start with the good or the bad? Well, 
I want to start with before we kind of get into really what happened in the game. I mean, the most interesting thing for me was what Marion Stanley decided to do for the starting lineup. So yeah. they started both Tiffany Mitchell and Natalie Achanwa, which I would say I expected neither to happen coming to this game. Um, Victoria Vivians and Tierra McCowan, both who I would have expected to start in those spots, played pretty sparingly. Yeah. They also started uh, Julie Allemand out of Belgium, which I think a lot of people were very excited for. Uh, I think she, she, she played pretty decently. But, of course, uh, the context is Erica Wheeler is still not in the bubble. We don't know when she's going to show up. So I don't know if this lineup will continue because it certainly did not perform very well today. But, uh, yeah, man, I agree. I thought one of Vivian's or McCowan would start. Uh, like, both of them not starting? That's – I don't know. It, it didn't really seem uh, – well, first of all, it didn't work. Right. It definitely didn't work. Um, no. And, and if, if I can just kind of get into what I was thinking about this, like I thought with this specific lineup, without having Erica Wheeler in your starting lineup, like starting Tiffany Mitchell, I guess made a little bit of sense because you need someone that can provide some dribble penetration that can get all the way to the rim offensively mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, Natalie Chanwa starting this game. Like she is a quality player, right? A really solid player, a really nice backup center. If she's starting for this team, this is something we talked about with some other teams in, in other situations. That's a huge red flag. If Tierra yeah. McCowan hasn't earned the starting spot in this rotation, like that's bad. And that is not promising. And from what we saw, you know, I think kind of the thought going in once you heard Achanawa was starting, well, you know, maybe just we want McCowan to kind of dominate those bench lineups. You know, that wasn't happening. She was, she was not an effective player today. You know, what I thought when I saw the starting lineups is I thought, okay, um, the Mystics want to go max spacing. They're going to want to pull McCowan out of the paint. This makes sense to me, you know, like a chess match, like, like matchup-wise. Yeah, just situationally. But, yeah, situationally, exactly. But McCowan, when she did come in, oh, my God. Like, she looked stiff. She looked, like, low energy. She played only 14 minutes. She scored one point. I'm not here to make too much out of one game, but this was a very disappointing outing for Tierra McCowan in a lot of ways. The toucher on the basket did not particularly look improved from last season. That was something I think a lot of people were hoping for as she sort of developed into a go-to scorer for this team. A lot of kind of just throwing it up. There was no real move there. But more importantly was like the defensive mechanics. Like she so got bad. turned around a couple of times. Like she was, it's, you're not going to be able to defend horizontally when you're standing straight up. Like you have to get down into a defensive stance if you want to guard in the pick and roll. And she was just standing the entire time. And she got blown by again and again and again, anytime they really kind of put her in that situation and Washington was looking to do it whenever she was out there. So a uh, very discouraging game for a player that I think we both had high hopes for. You know, I, I think there are definitely people out there that were higher on her than us in terms of, you know, floating the term superstar out there. You know, she's definitely not that and has a long way to go, but what she showed today is much lower than my expectations for, for what she was going to bring into year two. Yeah. Extremely disappointing. You know, I, I think the defensive mechanics are going to, I'm not sure how much you, you're going to be able to expect that because I don't think Tierra McCown is the most coordinated player. Um, I, I think like in college, I remember one thing watching her play at Mississippi state, she would just like fall down, like lose her balance very often, which I found kind of odd. But that being said, she would at least be in a position where she could like recover and, and maybe even just affect shots with her length. And of course, as we talked about extensively, she would have that gravity rolling to the hoop and drawing those fouls. The Mystics bottled that up every single time they tried it. And you were right. Whenever she got the ball in the post, 
she didn't really have like a go-to move down there. Yeah. I, I don't really have too much more to say about her. Do you, do you want to talk about some more fever players or should we talk about kind of what the, I think we should maybe before we get back to the fever, you know, obviously the, the story of this game was Maisha Hines Allen, right? Yeah. Uh, just yeah. Uh, an amazing performance. Uh, 27 points on 17 shooting possessions in this game, at least in the competitive part of the game before I turned away. Uh, First quarter alone, she was 14 points on seven shooting possessions, three of three from three, an and one, and a putback on her own miss, just feasting on this fever front line. What did you think about a player that I stated some very serious skepticism of just a few short days ago? Well, uh, I'll, I'll take the hit too. Like I wasn't very high on Heinz Allen either, but um, man, this game... First of all, let me just say that this is a significant thing. Indiana was came to the bubble significantly later than all the other teams right. because several of their players tested positive for for COVID nineteen, so they had to they had to wait for medical guidelines. Um, Indiana did not look ready to play, especially from a conditioning standpoint, and this was most evident when Maisha Hines Allen, she was just Indiana had no answer for her. She was faster than McCowan. I mean. That would happen most most games, to be fair. But um, she physically overmatched Candice Dupree and Natalie Achanwa pretty much every possession. I mean, she was just like the Energizer Bunny out there. She was she played much bigger than what she is, which is I believe six foot one. So she's traditionally an undersized post player, but she was facing up. She was blowing by him. She had three three pointers, and she was even making moves in. Tra- she was even making like a nice little uh, euro step in transition there to to beat Dupree and, and get a layup. So I mean, man, this is like. I think this is a very ideal situation. Now, I'm, I'm going to completely do a 180 here, okay? I, I might be overreacting to this. I think this is a very ideal situation for Maisha Hines-Allen because she's going to be surrounded by so many shooters. Um, I wouldn't expect Washington to put up this kind of offensive wizardry uh, every single game because they're going to be going up against better conditioned teams and they're not going to be you know, shooting the lights out every game. But if a player like this who excels at, at like face-up scenarios – is constantly given this much space, she's going to be able to make a few moves like this. She's going to be able to beat these taller defenders off the dribble and finish at the rim. So extremely, extremely, extremely encouraging uh, game from Maisha Hines-Allen. Uh, yeah, 27 points, 10 rebounds. Game of her life so far. And uh, if they keep playing like this, that's pretty encouraging. Yeah, I'm not ready to crown her most improved player yet or her MVP as maybe some people are. <laughs> uh she's the mvp of the day yeah for sure um i think this is definitely you know an ideal matchup for maisha heinz allen there was nobody that no front court player that could match either her combination of strength and athleticism on the front court you mentioned it you know candace dupree natalie chanwell like they were just not going to stay in front of maisha heinz allen or get overpowered by her in the case of dupree specifically you know Steffi mavunga gave her a try and just wasn't working like none, none of their bigs had any chance of stopping her they had nothing but you know I, I also don't think Maisha Hines-Allen is going to be hitting like sidestep threes all season uh you know I think she was probably a little bit over her head if that's fair to say in this game I'm sure my evaluation of her coming in was underappreciated like I, I did not appreciate what she brought to the the table but you know the, the truth is probably somewhere in between that and today right like 27 points on 17 shooting possessions is is phenomenal I I don't think we'll see that level of efficiency from her all season long. And, you know, let's be fair. She also kind of got cooked on a couple of switches, right? You know, yeah. this is really nitpicking, you know, obviously she had, she had a great game, but you know, there's 
opportunities where maybe you could see why this player is not an MVP candidate in, in real life. Um, but no, she's in a great situation with a lot of floor spacing, playing some not super athletic front court players. But she was terrific today, obviously. Who did you want to talk about next for Washington? Well, actually, I kind of wanted to point out a couple statistics for the team. Um, and, and just to put into perspective how efficient their offense was today. Um, they shot 17 three-pointers. That's not a lot of three-pointers for a team that can shoot three-pointers from basically every position. Um, but I think it does show how well they're able to get to the rim and how well the floor is spaced because they shot a combined 24 for 34, which is over 70% in the paint and in the restricted area. The floor was so well spaced. You had players like Leilani Mitchell and Shea Petty uh, and Ariel Powers getting to the rim with like absolutely no resistance at all. And maybe the fever defense was a little slug. Not even maybe the fever defense was a little sluggish, but I mean, Washington spaced the floor so well that these players who sometimes aren't even regarded as, you know, players who get to the rim all the time, they just made it look, they were rolling out the red carpet to get to the rim and uh, just an absolute clinic. Like the, like all the credit in the world to Mike Tebow, man, he's been doing this for a very long time. He turned a team that was facing a ton of adversity. We talked about it a lot in the Washington pod. They lost so much going in. They lost more than anybody going into this bubble. And they were the most impressive team on offense, in my opinion, today. Would you agree? Hmm, that's interesting. I or, would you think, am, or would you say the Sparks were better? I would say the Sparks were more impressive to me. Um, I thought a lot of – and Washington was definitely good, right? But I think I, I would be interested to see kind of what you were talking about uh, in terms of getting all the way to the rim and getting into the paint. The splits in the half court as opposed to in transition – because I think for long stretches of, of this game, Indiana would just kind of get nothing going on offense, end up throwing something ugly, and or either or turning the ball over, and it would just be like runouts, like three on one yeah. runouts over and over again. And it felt like that was the dominant sort of course of action for long stretches of this game. Um, but with that being said, like Washington definitely had it going in the half court as well, to be sure. But that that is very interesting in terms of how often they were able to get all the way to the paint and how effective they were in getting there and, you know, how seldomly they really had to rely on the three ball. You know, I thought Emma Meesman had a really good game and she did not hit a three in this game. You know, Leilani Mitchell had five points over the course of the whole game. So uh, interesting to see how, how balanced it was for Washington and, you know, how varied it ended up being for them. One thing I wanted to touch on, because just because I thought this was not only interesting, but also encouraging and kind of related to something I was talking about recently. But Atkins, I'm not sure if this was her first shot or just very early on in the game, but very early she hit a three right off the catch coming off a screen. You know, I had kind of labeled her as a stationary shooter in our Washington pod, and she immediately hit that shot. And I thought that was a very encouraging aspect of her game. To It's going to be very significant if she's able to add that versatility there. Yeah, you know, we talked about Ariel Atkins needing to take that that leap as kind of a more of a shot creator. I don't think we saw that much in this game. No. But it was such a situation in which, like, she didn't really have to. Yeah, no, you're right. And if that continues to be the case, it was interesting. You know, Ariel Powers, I thought, was more of the kind of one-on-one -on -one creator from that position. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, Powers went three of three in the paint, two for four on jump shots outside the paint. She's She's a tough player. You know, she is going to use her body and put her shoulder into you. And I thought it was she, – she's really going to score this year because, you know, there is going to be a ton of space. And, and we'll see what happens with Tiana Hawkins, you know, if she is 
hurt and not re- really able to play for long stretches. That's a little bit less space to go around for everybody. But, you know, with a space floor, like Ariel Powers is going to be able to get by or through her defender and very, very encouraging game for, for Powers, I would say, offensively. Definitely. And, and that's one player who I think, I think one of us, I forget who said it exactly, but someone said, uh, yeah, Powers is going to feast this year because, you know, she, because she's like the only player in this lineup who, I mean, before today, she was the only player in the lineup who could get to the rim consistently. But I mean, if the floor is spaced like this, um, like I said, it's, it's like the red carpet rolling out. Uh, like you said, Tiana Hawkins only played just under two minutes. And I'm not sure if the broadcasters like even mentioned it, but I'm not sure what happened there. Did you catch it? Um, I think I saw a quote on Twitter from a beat reporter that her back had stiffened up before the game during warmups. So I think she tried to give it a go and then just was not feeling great. Okay. Well, we hope Tiana Hawkins is as well. Hope she can make it back for the next game. Um, and also apologies to whoever reported that, that I'm not able to give out. Yeah. <laughs> whoever you are, you get all the credit. Uh, thank you very much. Um, so yeah, but other than that, I mean, the minutes distribution, Mike Tebow played everybody. He played everyone pretty significant minutes again, blow out so you could maybe say this is garbage time but there were positives from I think just about every player in this in this lineup who do you want to kind of start with like out of these out of these newbies maybe well I actually kind of wanted to talk about Emma Miesemann if if that's okay Um, because she was someone who I characterized recently as uh, a very effective post-up player who mainly posts up mismatches. And I thought she had two really nice post-ups on Natalie Chanwa, who, you know, she's no great shakes down there, but she's uh, a strong player with, with a strong base. And seeing Misaman successfully post up like-sized players instead of just kind of waiting for switches to, to get down there, I thought that was encouraging. Um, one other thing I'll say about Misaman, still want to see her be a little bit more aggressive. You know, I think her total field goal attempt numbers – maybe kind of oversells how aggressive she was in this game. There were some opportunities there where I thought she had uh, a shot to take and just kind of swung it to not even really like a high leverage swing. It was just, I don't love this, so I'm going to keep it going. You know what I mean? I think that's, I mentioned this before. um, I think that's kind of been the story of Emma Mieseman's career in Washington. Like she's not shooting enough relative to like how good of a shot she is. And with the emergence of Myja Heinz-Allen and like, of course, Ariel Powers, I think we might kind of still see Emma struggle to kind of be that number one scorer because man, I mean, she, she can shoot it from anywhere. That's, I I agree that I think her, her, she was more aggressive than her field goal attempts. She was seven for 13 from the field. Um, Did not attempt any free throws. She turned the ball over four times. So I I think maybe she was a little, she was a little more aggressive than the box score would indicate. Um, But I think in order for this team to be at its best, you want Emma to be leading the team in shots, right? I would say so. And, or, or close. All right. I mean, yeah. unless you're the player leading the team in shots has 27 points. Yeah, right. Right. On an average night. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have any particularly strong thoughts on Leilani Mitchell's first game in a Washington uniform? Well, no three pointers attempted was very strange. I, I can't remember the last time I saw Leilani Mitchell attempt no threes. Uh, she was pretty good. You know, I, I thought she was pretty aggressive. Um, she played for close to 26 minutes. She wasn't really high volume. But I think she she did her job as as a starting point guard, um, made things run, especially uh, smoothly. Four assists to two turnovers, a decent floor game, not spectacular but solid. Yeah, I thought she had a really impressive five point game. Right, she I thought she prodded really well. She didn't force anything, and you know something that I think kind of came into question in our Washington pod. Like she played with really great pace. She pushed the ball really hard and just really dictated the tempo of the offense. I think in a really effective way and. 
played fine defense. You know, her her counterpoint, Julie Allemand had a really solid game, which we'll get to when we kind of shift focus to, to Indiana. But Leilani Mitchell was was good overall. I think, you know, in a more normal game, they're going to need higher volume from her. But I, I really liked what she brought to the table in a low volume uh, capacity. Sure. And, and I think it's it's unrealistic to expect her to replicate what she did in Phoenix last season. We, we talked about it, like her numbers are trending down, 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 and then phew, they go through the ceiling. Um, I don't think she's going to be able to do that again, but if she can just be like, like what she's been on average throughout her career, because like you think of Leilani Mitchell, I don't think you think of like a playmaker really, but if you can get this out of her, like a steady hand who runs the offense, plays with pace and, you know, shoots when she needs to, that's acceptable. It's plenty acceptable. Yeah, I agree with you. I, you know, they are going to need some more shooting out of her eventually, I think. But. Yeah, of, of course, of course. Um, but yeah, like, and then going, looking at this bench, uh, Essence Carson, Alana, Elena Coates, Shea Petty, Kara Leslie, um, all played a good amount of minutes and all of them showed some pretty good things. I mean, Essence Carson, it was a, maybe her stat line wasn't as impressive, but uh, I mean, Elena Coates, I thought played really well. Coates played well, yeah. And I think the two uh, backcourt players played well as well. I thought they played really tough defense when they were in there, played, again, with great pace, got out in transition. It was Kira Leslie who blocked yeah. Vivian's three-point jump shot and then immediately got the, the run out. So really great stuff for, from both of them. Former number two overall pick, Elena oh, Coates, <laughs> was also very impressive. Um, she, she had a really good game. She played tough against... You know, the aforementioned Tierra McCown, who was not able to really take advantage of that matchup. What did we say on our Washington episode? If, if Coates is going to be effective, she's going to be setting screens up top and rolling with the hoop. Yeah. I, thought she moved, I thought she moved off the ball very, very well. And then, of course, nine rebounds in, in 18 minutes of play. That's what you need from her. And, and yeah, she played great. Yep, she was very good. Uh, I did want to kind of talk about some of these fever players. You know, obviously it was a, a total disaster, but some of their players I thought had a, a nice game. What did you think about the game from a favorite of both of ours, Kelsey Mitchell? Definitely a favorite of both of ours. Uh, I thought this was, I saw mostly, I honestly don't have much negative to say about Kelsey Mitchell's game. And that's not just because I'm a massive stan. Uh, she scored 25 points, five of seven from three. Um, <laughs> without Kelsey Mitchell, uh, like not counting for her three pointers, the fever shot three for 19 from three. Sweet. Kelsey kind of, kept them afloat there, although offensively they were still not good. Um, I think her shot selection was better than we're used to seeing from her. Like, I didn't really see – did she really take any long twos? She took a couple in the mid-range that were very open, you know, where they uh, kind of flew by in the closeout and it was there for her, but they weren't tough long twos, and I think that's encouraging. Yeah, so it's not like she's dribbling into the long twos, like early in the shot clock or anything like that. Um, she found the range deep from beyond the three-point line, obviously. Three assists to one turnover. I don't think she's ever going to be a – a huge assist point guard, but I thought her floor game was, was very, very encouraging in a, during a game. I'll mind you that uh, the fever did not play well in basically any other aspect. Yeah. I was impressed with Kelsey Mitchell. I thought she was very aggressive early and she was really taking it to Ariel Atkins, got two early falls drawn on Atkins. And, you know, there was a game last year where Atkins completely erased Kelsey Mitchell. So I thought Mitchell's aggression in this game was very promising uh yeah. overall mitchell 25 points on 19 shooting possessions so pretty good there you know we we had mentioned she cooked Maisha hines allen on a couple switches uh kelsey mitchell got all the way to the rim a few times 
you know, did miss a righty layup. Would love to see that right hand uh, improve a little bit. But getting to the rim is encouraging. She got to the free throw line a few times. And, you know, she hit a lot of the shots that we kind of wanted to see from her. You know, pick and roll threes and, and threes kind of uh, in motion and stuff like that. And, you know, she is a really good offensive player and um, I think is hampered by some of the other lineup choices that perhaps come with this team, which brings me to Tiffany Mitchell, uh, who we talked about earlier in the program, who I thought kind of made sense starting with this lineup. And I did think she had some nice moments, particularly early. You know, she was nice and aggressive getting to the rim and had some nice finishes inside, had a nice uh, drive-in dish or two. You know, there's one specifically in mind to, to Candace Dupree on the left baseline, but Overall, I was a little bit disappointed in her game. What about you? I think the main problem I have with Tiffany Mitchell's game right now is that she's settling for a lot of three-pointers that she's just not good at take, good at making, um, especially in the game, which I can understand. Like, you're, you're frustrated. You're down by a lot. You're just going to start chucking, um, which I, I think the, the fever offense in general was, was not good. There was not a lot of ball movements. Um, they just weren't crisp, you know. Um, and I think Tiffany Mitchell was, was kind of a, a product of that. She did some good things. I mean, she's she's Tiffany Mitchell. I mean, I think she is kind of what you're kind of gonna get what you what you've been getting out of Tiffany Mitchell at this point in her career. I I, I really kind of see that three ball develop a little bit better, the shot selection perhaps. You know, she's gonna be able to take advantage of some people off the dribble, right? But either become a better three point shooter or maybe look to make some plays for others. You said she had a she had a, a nice driving dish, and she had one three pointer, but like one for seven, not good. Um, not really much of a force on defense either. Yeah, I mean, it, it was okay. Tiffany Mitchell, particularly with the shots she was taking, like she should not be taking seven threes. No. And I thought the threes that she took were just like prayers. Like they weren't even like nice open catch and shoot threes. They were like fadeaways and off the dribble threes. Like what the ball doing? stopped. She the stopped ball the ball. Stopped. Yeah. yeah, you're 100% right. It was It was very discouraging. I thought that was a very discouraging aspect of their offense in – kind of what I was hoping to see change really in the fever offense, you know, less of that kind of isolation one-on-one basketball and more kind of ball and body movement. And, you know, I don't want to put this all on Tiffany Mitchell because it's definitely not all on her, but she had, I think the most glaring low points of, you know, more of the same in terms of those really bad shots that kind of really had no chance of going in. Uh, I somewhat agree, but I think there was lower in the fever lineup. And um, I was really not impressed at all with Candice Dupree today. I thought Candice Dupree looked old and overmatched. Yeah, I, I think, you know, she had a poor game offensively, to be sure. But I think even more discouraging for me was her performance defensively. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Candice Dupree, um, amazingly enough, because it, it, it did not feel like this last year, kind of watching the games. But she, like, had the best defensive metrics on the team. And I feel like she just, you know, maybe it's just part of, being where she is in her career and, you know, being down 30, you know, 15 game minutes into the game. But and that, that could be discouraging to be sure. Like Candace Dupree is a very accomplished player, you know, has won a championship in this league. And I can see how a player of her stature would be frustrated in this role, but I just thought she, she didn't really have it today. Um, no. And, you know, she tried those threes. I thought one of those threes she took, it was like, I don't really want to take this, but I've been told I'm supposed to take threes. You know, she kind of hesitated and then just kind of <laughs> threw it up. I don't know if you remember which shot I'm talking about, but it was kind of earlier in the game and it was just like, well, I guess I'm supposed to take these and, and just kind of threw it towards the rim. And yeah, not, not a particularly encouraging performance from her. Missed a couple easy ones inside. 
I don't know. Yeah, and her front court partner Natalia Chanwa, we've we've already said, um, not really much of a factor on either end of the court. I mean, she got uh, she did get record seven rebounds in, in nineteen minutes of play, but was uh, was inferior to Maisha Hines Allen for basically the entire game. I'm not exactly sure what Natalia Chanwa is going to give you as a starter. You know, I guess floor spacing theoretically. Yeah, theoretically, but she's not going to space you out to the three point line, and like she's not. I don't know, man. She needs to be coming off the bench. Tierra McCollum yeah. just needs to be better. Yeah, no, I completely agree. She with needs you. to be so much better. Um, and same thing with Victoria Vivian's. I mean, Vivian, you know, it's which her quote was like, "I'm just going to keep shooting it, like even if I keep missing." She kept missing. It's like she was totally out of rhythm. Yeah, and she wasn't even really shooting it that frequently. Unfortunately, you know. Yeah, I would love to see her just continue to get those shots up. But yeah, I thought Vivian's had a very disappointing game on both ends, and it was pretty clear, I guess, early on why she wasn't starting. You know, maybe maybe she just needs to be starting to kind of get into that rhythm, or you know, maybe a, a more distribution-focused point guard like Erica Wheeler will kind of help get things along a little bit better. Good but point. yeah, just was was not an impressive night. I also thought Vivian's really struggled defensively as well. Not an encouraging game for her on that end, in my opinion. Um, I kind of expected more from her, you know, on both ends of the floor. So, you know, it's a first game back in a long time. So, you know, we'll see. I, I definitely don't think this is going to be what we should expect to see from Victoria Vivians from a, a season-long perspective. You know, obviously she's a, a tremendously gifted three-point player and she's going to start hitting those shots eventually. Um, but she's got to take more of them and, and she's got to improve defensively to be sure. Yeah. She's just, yeah. She's just got to be more aggressive. I think uh, let's end this fever, fever disaster on a high note. Um, Julie Allemand, rookie from Belgium. She was starting at point guard and I thought she played pretty well. Yeah, for sure. Played really under control, eight points on three shooting possessions. You know, she's not, it would seem to me uh, being the first time I've ever seen this player play going to really take over a game, but I thought she was solid on defense and it'll be interesting to kind of see how she fits in once, you know, Erica Wheeler is back because it it almost seems like she has the game where the more talented wing players and and dominant front court players around her, the better off she'll be because she can just kind of be a complimentary player. But I thought she had a really, really nice game today. Yeah. She had a good floor game. She didn't look for a rookie. She didn't look rattled at all. She no, looked like she was she was totally in control of the game on both ends of the floor. She didn't take shots that she should have been taking, obviously because she made all of her shots. Um, a couple turnovers, but she recorded a couple steals as well, three assists. Yeah, like she doesn't strike me as as a very high assist point guard either. But like you said, there's there's so much going on here that there's just not point guard friendly right now. You have no post players who will roll to the basket. You have your best three point shooter is. Like I, I love Kelsey Mitchell, but she she stops the ball. Um, Victoria Vivian's your best like complimentary three point shooter, not pretty pretty much missing in action today. Um, so I think I think Alleman is going to flourish in a like a lesser volume role. Maybe I don't know what's going to happen when Erica Wheeler comes back, but I mean I think for me the question was, is it going to be Julie Alleman or Kathleen Doyle who soaks up these minutes in the absence of Wheeler? Um, some will argue that Alleman and Doyle are the same person. Uh, because they apparently they, they they look like exactly alike, but um, thirty one minutes to zero minutes in favor of Alleman today. I think that's going to continue. I saw enough. I saw no reason to not consider to not continue starting her. Um, a lot of bad things happening in this fever lineup, but the back the starting backcourt was, I think, okay. 
Yeah, she was one of the the better rookies overall on the day, I would say. She was very impressive. Um, All right. So uh, anything you want to kind of finish up with here? One one thing I just, you know, from an overall standpoint from Indiana, just kind of disappointed and very disappointed in the offense, I I should say. It didn't really seem like they were playing with any kind of system. Like, it was the same old fever, playing one-on-one basketball, taking long twos or or prayer threes. Like you mentioned, they, they were late to getting to Bradenton. They were missing two projected high rotation players in Wheeler and Cox. Um, but, you know, there was just nothing going on with this offense. It was very confounding and very disappointing. Um, there, wasn't, there wasn't a lot of movement, was there? No, there wasn't. It was a very stale game plan and a very stale offense. And maybe that was just a result of seeing a player who hadn't been scouted too much drop 30 points almost on them or, or something like that. You know, maybe sometimes those things can happen. Uh, I think everyone was probably prepared for Hawkins to get the start. And then, you know, Maisha Hines Allen comes out and drops 14 points in the first quarter. And, you know, maybe they were just taken aback a little bit or something, but a very disappointing outing, obviously. This leads me, I got a question for you then. What kind of offense do you think the Fever need to be running given this current personnel? One with a lot of motion, one where players who are stationary, the, the ones who are not really threats off the ball, the Tierra McCowans, um, the Natalie Chanwas, where they are very active players off the ball, setting screens for a Victoria Vivians to get open off the ball, for a Kelsey Mitchell to get open off the ball. Okay. And make sure that you are maximizing floor spacing for the few dribble penetrators that you have in Erica Wheeler and Tiffany Mitchell. That's going to be tough, that floor spacing part, I think, because – they're two best three-point shooters. I mean, again, like I said, Kelsey Mitchell, she's kind of a ball stopper. And Victoria Vivian's struggled to stay. I mean, she she played close to 26 minutes, but she was not effective in those minutes. A lot of that so, was like garbage time, right? Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. Come to think of it, like, the Fever didn't really make that many significant moves this offseason. So, maybe it is just taking a while to get adjusted to a new system. I'm not sure what kind of system it is because they look so stale and – you said it's stale, stale and stagnant. Yeah, I, I just hope it's a, a product of a team showing up a week late and some of their players not being in game shape because this was very disappointing. Yeah, well, we've uh, a little bit of a disappointing day overall, I would say, in terms of the quality of the play, but it's nice to have basketball back. We're going to be releasing this in total as one part, but we'll be back tomorrow to record the other three games. Yeah, so we're podcasting experts. Obviously, we know what we're doing 100%. Um, <laughs> so we're recording this Saturday night. We'll be back to record more Sunday night. It will seem like we're recording it in one night, but we're actually not. So next up, we're going to be talking about the three games on Sunday, Connecticut Sun versus Minnesota Lynx, Chicago Sky versus Las Vegas Aces, Dallas Wings and Atlanta Dream. Thank you all so much for listening. We will be back in a jiffy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. Uh, we're going to talk about Sunday's games now. So uh, once again, Eric and Steven here talking about Sunday's games for the opening weekend. First off, we have the Connecticut Sun versus the Minnesota Lynx, um, a comeback win for the Lynx, 77 to 69. This was, um, unlike many of the games that we saw this weekend, more of a defensive battle, I guess you could call it, or an offensive struggle, but you know, sometimes I prefer to be glass half full. Uh, Lynx put up 90.6 points per 100 possessions. The Sun struggled to the tune of 81.2 points per 100 possessions. That's a net of 9.4. Uh, Sun actually led for a lot of this game. They led by nine at the half. They led by double digits for much of the third quarter, but the Lynx won the fourth quarter 27 to 12. Um, I don't think it was as sloppy as a game as, as many of them were on Saturday, Stephen, like at least concerning turnovers, but more poor shooting. I mean, the teams combined to shoot six for 36 from three. That's 16.7%. 
and also a lot of whistles. Uh, there were 42 fouls called, 51 total free throw attempts. Um, Steven, you're a Sun fan. Uh, your team started out pretty well. Yeah, things looked promising for the Sun early on. Um, I really liked sort of the aggressive nature that they were playing defense, particularly on the perimeter. Minnesota started this game with Shanice Johnson and Lexi Brown at the guard spots. Neither one of them really natural point guards. And I think Kurt Miller put the impetus on his team to really pressure up it and make those players and the other Lynx players as well really kind of beat them uh, with their dribble drive game. And for the most part in the first half, Connecticut was very successful in doing that. Yeah, that's one thing that stood out to me immediately is that the Connecticut Sun wanted to be really aggressive on the perimeter defensively. And you're right, for the most part, it was working. I thought they were able to really impose their will uh, physically, especially like with the length of of Bria Holmes and Dewana Bonner. And of course, Alyssa Thomas just is so strong and so versatile on defense. Uh, They looked to be the superior team, physically speaking, but then I think they kind of ran out of gas in the fourth quarter. What did you see there? Yeah, there was definitely some fatigue that set in, I thought, particularly with Thomas, you know, not to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but, you know, there was one really kind of swing moment, I thought, late in the game where it's it's 60-59. Thomas gets the steal wide open in transition and just blows the bunny. And then Connecticut really never got another decent look on offense there. But it was really a struggle for them throughout the entire game. You know, two for 19 from the three-point line. Uh, It wasn't much prettier from the field, you know, at, at one point, after the first half, they had shot 50% from the free throw line, really picking off, picking up where they left off last season. So, you know, there's not a lot of spacing to work with on this Connecticut Sun offense when you have Alyssa Thomas, Brianna Jones, and Bria Holmes all playing together. And, you know, Jasmine Thomas is an adequate shooter, I think, and Dewana Bonner is an adequate shooter, but none of them, neither of those two players are really lights out three-point shooters that really demand uh, exceptional gravity without the basketball. So things sure. were really tight down there. Yeah. Uh, Bria Holmes, one for seven. Jasmine Thomas, one for 10. Uh, Duana Bonner, six for 18 with 0 for six from three-point range. And then off the bench, Kalina Mosqueda-Lewis missed all four of her three-point attempts. So it was a real struggle. And, you know, it, it kind of disappointed me. It seemed like at times last year for the Sun, and the past couple of years, actually, if the Sun weren't able to really get to play with their pace, um, get out in transition, they were going to struggle in the half court. And uh, this was not very encouraging in that regard. You talked about the missed free throws. I mean, they, they shot 30 of them. They were 21 for 30. So I think they left a few points there. But uh, the more concerning for me was the, uh, the lack of effectiveness in the half court. And they got not a lot of contributions from their bench either. No, they did not. I thought Natisha Heidman played okay. You know, there were some moments there where, I, you know, I think she maybe tried to do a little bit too much with the dribble and just couldn't really quite get by her defender. Not a particularly impressive game from Kyla Charles. You know, Beatrice Montpremier had her ups and downs. I thought that, you know, there was a really nice sequence. I want to say it was in the late in the first quarter where she was able to, you know, she was guarding Sylvia Fowles and the help came in time and Fowles got the pass over to, gosh, I don't even remember who it was, but Montpremier was able to block the shot vertically. Uh, and then just a couple of possessions later, you know, Montpremier got out in transition uh, ahead of the pack and was able to finish a nice layup there. So, but, you know, there were definitely some down points for mom premier as well. You know, she obviously got bulldozed by Sylvia Fowles a few times. She uh, completely ignored help responsibility on a a pick and roll play where the player that really swung this game, in my opinion, Crystal Dangerfield had like clearly had Natisha Heidemann beat and 
uh, Mom Premier just didn't really come over to help. So, you know, there were some ups and downs, but she's a rookie and, and rookies are going to have ups and downs. I think maybe we should kind of take a step back, talk about early on in this game where Connecticut was really controlling the pace, I thought. Um, and they were uh, forcing turnovers. You know, you had mentioned that this game wasn't as sloppy in terms of like the turnovers of some of the games yesterday. But early on, I, I think Connecticut was really kind of forcing the issue a lot defensively. And that led to a lot of transition possessions. Alyssa Thomas was just terrific in the first half. Uh, 16 points on 10 shooting possessions, six rebounds, two assists, and really, you know, pushed the tempo early. One thing that Minnesota had a lot of success in in last year when they went 3-0 against Connecticut was sticking Sylvia Fowles on Alyssa Thomas as the primary defensive matchup and putting Demir Stantis on Jonquil Jones. I don't know if maybe they thought, you know, Bree Jones just brought a little bit too much size for Dantas, but that was not the way that they went today. They had Falls guarding Bree Jones and, and put Dantas on Alyssa Thomas. And, you know, for a lot of the game, at least in the first half, Thomas was just too physical for Demir Dantas. She was really getting her shoulder into her. She was much more athletic early on and just seemed to really physically overwhelm Dantas. As she does with most players. Uh, you mentioned Sylvia Falls. I found, I found interesting about this. Still played 33 minutes and they were featuring her early and often in their offense. I mean, 11 shot attempts, maybe not as many as, as you would think. Um, but it didn't really seem like she had many, she had the proverbial training wheels on her. But I, th- I feel like, like the Suns' defensive pressure really took advantage of the links. Like you said, you mentioned it. Um, neither Shanice Johnson nor Lexi Brown are, are natural point guards. I thought Shanice Johnson actually made some, some, a few pretty decent plays, particularly getting to the free throw line, like in the, at least in the first half. But when you don't really have like a natural distributor like that, I think it's really easy to be super aggressive on defense because you know that they're trying to get the ball down to fouls and you just want to make them as comfortable as possible. Obviously, Brianna Holmes is not going to be able to check Sylvia Falls one-on-one, but if you give her that, that, that kind of security blanket out there on the perimeter, it'll make life pretty easy. And uh, I mean, I like the defensive game plan. Did you? Yeah, I did like the defensive game plan. And it was successful really until it, I guess it wasn't. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I think what, as I kind of alluded to before, what, what really sort of changed the game was Minnesota playing a real natural point guard in Crystal Dangerfield with the rest of the starters. Uh, and, you know, when Connecticut is playing this lineup of their, their starters that they ran out there today with Jasmine Thomas, uh, Alyssa Thomas, Bria Holmes, Brianna Jones, Dewana Bonner, like, you better get stops because it's going to be real tough to find mm-hmm. offense in that lineup, particularly when Jasmine Thomas is not really able to hit her open shots. And she had a, a really hard time creating from two point range as well. Like I thought more so than some of the other players that, you know, were returning from last year's roster, you know, Jasmine Thomas was the one that I thought really, you could see the effect of the much decrease floor spacing in this Connecticut sun system. Yeah, she really wasn't getting where she wanted to go on the floor. Uh, even, even the times in which she was successful at getting to the rim, like it was, it was hard for her. I, I think a couple of those times she was, uh, at least once she was kind of bailed out by a foul. But I mean, the one for 10 says it all. You know, she's not going to be a lights out three-point shooter on most occasions, but she should at least be able to get into the paint a little bit easier than she did today. So yeah, it was tough on her. It was, you know, I, I think Bree Jones played about as well as you could have expected from her. I mean, she played almost 30 minutes guarding arguably the best center in the league. Um, she got all four offensive rebounds, didn't really uh, play out of control, I don't thought, although 
I, I don't think rather um she did pick up a couple fouls like really far away from the hoop which were not necessary but I don't know I mean I know you're not very high on Brianna Jones I'm probably not either but uh did you think she was okay yeah she was and I think you know, a Sylvia Falls type player, and this is obviously no disrespect to Sylvia Falls because she's one of the all-time greats, right? But that type of center is who Brianna Jones, if she can do anything, that's what she can kind of match, match up against. So back right. to the basket, physical player. You know, I thought when Minnesota tried to get Brianna Jones defending in space, that's where Jones really struggled. And mm-hmm. um, they went to that often. They tried to get her in a lot of pick and rolls and Jones uh, suffered some blow buys to be sure. But she did have some nice moments offensively. You know, she had a couple of nice passes to Alyssa Thomas on a cut, uh, to Dewana Bonner, you know, as Jones was kind of falling out of bounds in transition, you know, Bonner blew the bunny. She had that nice pick and roll layup with Jasmine Thomas. But overall, like, I think offensively, like, her reaction time is just a little slow. You know, she was able to draw a foul once on what should have been, like, a nice, easy, quick either put back or, or pass to an open player on the opposite block. And, you know, like I said, even sort of without a point guard on the floor early in the game, Minnesota was still really trying to go at Brianna Jones in the pick and roll. And, you know, they were successful when they went to that, but you're, you're right. She did have a, a good game by uh, her standards and expectations. I would say. Very diplomatically put. <laughs> Teresa Plaisance did not play in this game. I think she's still feeling the effects of that uh, back procedure she had earlier. Uh, do you think she would have changed things at all? I guess it's tough to say because Sylvia Falls did play 33 minutes, and I, I don't think that would be a particularly favorable matchup for Plaisance. But, I mean, it's hard to have any less floor spacing than you had on the floor you know, early in this game. I, Connecticut did go small towards the – like in the middle of the, the first half there and really would have liked to kind of see them go back to that in the second half uh, with – it was Heidemann, Jasmine Thomas, Kalina Mosqueda-Lewis, Dewana Bonner, and Alyssa Thomas. Uh, we only really saw that lineup for a couple minutes and would have liked to see more of that, especially as, you know, the Sun were kind of suff- suffocating in their own lack of floor spacing late in the game and really not able to get anything going. And a lot of their players looked pretty gassed too, so they weren't really getting the stops. So kind of having that more defensive-focused lineup out there wasn't quite cutting it. But with regards to Plaisance, you know, she hasn't had the best experience in Connecticut yet, obviously had that back issue late last season. And for her to kind of still be missing time with that back issue months and months later, that that's pretty concerning to me, but unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. It's a real bummer, but I mean, she, she definitely would have brought some floor spacing, even if she didn't really hit the shots that would have went her way. Like uh, the polar opposite of Brianna Jones, at least on offense. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, um, Yes, I mean, I feel like the Connecticut Sun. There are a couple instances in this game, instances in this game, where they had the links. Like they had him on the. Uh, I believe Kurt Miller. They had him mic'd up, and you could hear him very clearly. Uh, he said, "You had him. You had him." Like regarding to the the Sun blowing like an early ten point lead or whatever. But then they kind of jumped back out to it, out to it again. Again, it just seems like they ran out of gas. Uh, a lot of teams have been playing with uh, long rotations. The Sun were not one of them. Jackie Gemelos did not play. Beatrice Montpamere, like, I don't think she's just too raw right now, at least to go up against Sylvia Falls. And again, man, I, this Sun bench is still very, very concerning, even with the different personnel than compared to last season. Yeah, I think in this game in particular, they desperately needed a Breon January type of player who, you know, is just able to 
She knows how to dribble the basketball other than going in a straight line drive. She can pass it to one of the other basketball players on her team. She can hit a shot from behind the three-point line. You know, like, Breon January is not some amazing player, but... She controls the game. Yeah, she controls the game. And, you know, when you had the kind of offensive performance that you were getting from Bria Holmes, like, if you have one of these Bria Holmes games, like, this is where having Breon January is really going to help kind of open things up a little bit more. Plus, I feel like for Minnesota, uh, it's not like this, this size disadvantage or, or like the size downgrade that you get going from Bria Holmes to Brianne January would be that difficult, I feel like. Because Lexi Brown, in my opinion, like she, she's a better shooter than she showed in this game. Absolutely. But I feel like this, this game showed that like her main weakness as a shooter. And that's if, you, if, you're, if you're defending Lexi Brown and you're there on the catch, her effectiveness decreases by a lot. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like the, the, the Suns' aggressive defense really bothered Lexi Brown and that she, she would – like, they were there on the catch almost every single time. She did get a couple open three-pointers that she missed. You know, could have could have changed the game for her. But um, rough game for her. Uh, no assists, three turnovers, two for 11 from the field, 0 of 6 from behind the three-point line. And then, you know, her, her backcourt partner, Shanice Johnson, performed pretty decently, you know, considering her, her past knee issues and the fact that she's not really a point guard either. But uh, you said it. The game changed when the Lynx brought in the rookie Crystal, Crystal Dangerfield. Yeah, she was really good. And she is the type of player that had, when she falls to the Minnesota Lynx, you're just like, oh, man, really? Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, Cheryl Reeve is just going to be able to get productivity out of a second-round undersized point guard. You know what I mean? Like, and she just – she had competence running an offense in a way – as a point guard that their other two backcourt options, in my opinion, did not really show, even though, you know, Shanice Johnson did have some nice moments on her individual dribble drive game. You know, Lexi Brown had a, had a few moments as well, I, I think getting by uh, Jasmine Thomas, but Dangerfield really unlocked some things, being able to spot up from three and getting guarded out there. And she wasn't really taken advantage of defensively. You know, Jasmine Thomas was able to get her lone field goal on her on a drive but like with the offensive spacing or, or lack thereof that Connecticut has, you know, you can put a not ideal matchup guarding Jasmine Thomas and it really paid off for Minnesota. Yeah. Dangerfield really impressed me. Just not necessarily, not even with the three pointer, because I think that's something you can expect from her because she showed throughout college. She's a very good three point shooter. You know, this box score says she was one for three. I could have sworn she hit two three pointers, but I don't know. This, this, this scoring has been interesting. We'll, we'll talk about that in a game later on, but she just seemed to be very much in control of the game, especially for a rookie. I was very imp- impressed with her poise. Yeah. And I thought she was really good in the pick and roll as well. And, yeah. you know, attacking, like I said, some of those bigs who had a little bit of trouble for Connecticut defending in space, particularly Beatrice Montpremier and Brianna Jones. Uh, so yeah, she she was really good and she really changed things for them. I thought. Yeah, but going back to the starters for Minnesota uh, for a second, I, I, again the first thing that stands out is Sylvia Fowles. I mean, she played a vintage Sylvia Fowles game. Like I said, thirty three minutes, seventeen points, eighteen rebounds, eighteen rebounds. She was totally dominating the paint. Um, she was going after the offensive glass. She just looks in tremendous shape, and uh, she is she is not going into that quiet. She's not going quietly into the night as far as the best center in the league title. And I thought she was terrific defensively too. Oh, yeah. um, she really picked up well on, on switches. You know, Bria Holmes tried to take her a couple of times and two of Fowles' blocks came on Bria Holmes' drive. I, I don't know why you think you're going to be able to get that over Sylvia Fowles, but kudos for trying, I guess. 
but yeah, I, I thought she was really excellent in guarding not only on the perimeter, but also like in the paint as well. She's just so solid. It, it feels like for me that the, the tale of this game was that the Minnesota Lynx almost seemed gassed early, but then their depth kind of took over the game later on. Like Nafisa Collier, she wasn't really involved in the offense much early, which I think a lot of people were disappointed with. But then towards the end of the game, it was like, she comes out of nowhere. She's getting her own offensive rebound. She's, she had four assists to only one turnover. She had a three-pointer. Played like the Nafisa Collier that was the best rookie in the league last season. Yeah, she had some really big baskets late in the game. 0 for 1 in the first half. And then picked up her fourth foul with 8.20 left in the third quarter. Connecticut's up 10. But, you know, after that, particularly in the fourth, she really came alive in, in the second half. You know, towards the end of the game, she hits a huge corner three. So Collier hits that corner three late in the game. Bree Jones on the other end gets a huge offensive rebound after Holmes again tries to drive on falls, one of those blocks. But somehow the ball makes it out to Jasmine Thomas for a three that she misses. And then Bree Jones gets that huge offensive rebound, like I said, to tie it at 65. Crystal Dangerfield hits a three on the other end. Uh, you know, Dewana Bonner threw up that not too pretty reverse layup on the other end. Yeah. So it's, it's 68, 65 and, you know, Collier just takes it, you know, down the floor and gets a, a nice layup basket and Connecticut never really gets another good offensive possession and, and they're pretty gassed and Collier who, who looked pretty gassed early in the game really came through late as it looked like she had her wind back to her after not really playing all that much earlier in the half. And, you know, she was great, obviously in that one quarter, uh, I think Cheryl Reef said, quote, she was awful for three quarters, but she was great in the fourth, and uh, it really made the difference, I thought. Yeah, I mean, uh, pretty blunt, pretty honest by Cheryl Reeve, but that's, that's why we love her. Uh, she's, a, you know, one of the best coaches in, in the history of the game, I think, and, uh, but a great interview. Always, always gives great quotes. Uh, anybody else really stand out to you for Minnesota? Um, not particularly. You know, I thought Damaris Dantas, even though she did kind of get physically overwhelmed at times by Alyssa Thomas, uh, you know, had a really good game. She in this at least starting lineup that doesn't include Crystal Dangerfield, you know, amazingly, Demaris Dantas is your best passer in your starting lineup. She had some really nice high lows. Uh, her little post fadeaway, uh, that was really working for her. So she had, you know, nine points on six shooting possessions, and she was just pretty solid. You know, she picked up a few falls, turned it over a couple times. You know, not, not the best Demaris Dantas game uh, because, like I said, she did kind of get taken advantage of early a little bit, but I thought she really kind of settled in and, and was good late. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, and also of note, Kareem of Christmas Kelly returned to the lineup, played 20 minutes. Uh, not, not a spectacular shooting performance, but she did get to the line six times, recorded three steals. Typical Kareem of Christmas Kelly physicality and, and uh, defense out there. Rachel Bannum, uh, not much doing. That, that matchup between Bannum and uh, Mosqueda Lewis was not exactly what I would call must-see TV. But uh, I, I think the Lynx, they showed some things, especially defensively today. And uh, Odyssey Sims supposedly will be back, like, in two to three weeks, which is, seems pretty optimistic to me, but that's, that's what they're going with. Yeah, I mean, this team gets real interesting once, once she gets back because their defense, you know, granted this is against the Sun offense that as uh, we have probably beaten into the ground now, like is not going to light you up, but uh, their defense was very impressive today to me. Yeah, I feel like these two teams are, uh, actually I should say, I feel like we've been talking a lot lately about, or at least to start, about teams that aren't good defensively. 
and we're going to be getting into that later this show as well. But these, I think, are two of the, the top defenses in the league. Um, definitely a lower-scoring game there, very physical. Anything you really wanted to add about this one? Um, I guess, you know, we can talk about Dewana Bonner a little bit. Not, not too much to say about her. You know, she was not particularly efficient in this one. 18 points on 22 – I'm sorry, 19 points on 22 shooting possessions. She was – you know, okay as a passer, I thought. Had some nice passes, had some not great passes. Four of nine in the paint, two of nine on jump shots outside the paint. I thought she leveraged her foul-seeking behavior pretty well at times. Um, much like the rest of Connecticut, I thought she was really effective defensively, uh, particularly early on. And then I think she she definitely got a little winded. You know, there yeah. were definitely some some fatigue possessions all around offensively late in this game. And, you know, when you're the quote-unquote go-to offensive player and the rest of the team is fatigued and you're fatigued, you're going to be the one thrown with the bad shots, I guess. So uh, I'm not sure really how much to kind of put on her in, in that regard, but things kind of fell off a little bit late in the game. Other yeah, than it, that, oh, yeah right. the system kind of broke down. Uh, I don't think many of her three-pointers were good shots. It felt like she was forcing a lot of them. But, I mean, this is kind of the story of Duana Bonner, right? Like, we've seen her efficiency take a pretty big hit when she is the the, the go-to option for – for any team. Yeah. That's something we've talked about a lot. You know, the more, and it makes sense, right? The more help you have around you, the, the kind of less of a creation load she has, um, the higher her efficiency is. And I mean, the help's not coming this season, but you know, maybe <laughs> with John Quill Jones next season. And obviously, you know, she's not going to go over six from three every game uh, and shoot 33% from the field. Not an overly promising Dewana Bonner game, but it was fine. I think. Yeah, it was fine. It could have been a lot worse. Um, okay. Moving right along now uh, to, I think, what many fans thought of as the, uh, the main game of the day featured on ABC. Chicago Sky versus Las Vegas Aces. Of course, a rematch of the, uh, the very unfortunate <laughs> result last year in the playoffs. Uh, Sky, oof, they pulled it out. Um, final score of 88 to 86. Scored exactly one point per possession. Aces scored... 95.6 points per 100 possessions. That's a net rating of 4.4. Um, this game, I feel like it was a very fast-paced game, as one would expect with these two teams. Uh, just look at how they played last year. Not much different. Um, I think, I don't know if, if you would agree with this, the, the, the last game of, of today was, was pretty had a pretty good flow sometimes as well. But I, I think this is like the best flow of the weekend in this game. We saw a lot of ugly basketball yesterday. This one, there was a lot of transition opportunities. Per synergy, there are over 200 possessions total in this game. 37 of them came in transition. I think that might even be a little low, but I don't calculate those numbers. It seemed like this game, the Aces were in control for most of the game. Yeah, this seemed like one where if Connecticut was, I'm, I'm sorry, if Chicago was going to win this game, they were really going to have to steal one, and they did. They stole um, one. <laughs> yeah, they did. Uh, but I, I really felt that Vegas was in control even when it was, you know, a four-point game, a six-point game pretty late in the fourth quarter, it felt like Vegas just kind of had control of things and uh, until they didn't. They really kind of snatched defeat from the jaws of victory in this one. But uh, nevertheless, I still think the Aces have a couple kind of notable instances where we should really talk about. And that I think we should start with the return of Angel McCautry. She was terrific. She was phenomenal. I mean, I, I've been kind of... I was kind of down on that signing. I think a lot of people were, but uh, no, she looked fantastic. I, I feel like for, for the Aces to be successful this season, they need Angel McCartry at her best because you know they're not going to space the floor. I mean, 
let's just let's just address this right now. The three point attempt disparity was absolutely hilarious. The Vox score says that Chicago was nine for twenty seven from three. Vegas was zero for five. I could have sworn Kayla McBride hit a three pointer like in the in like late in the second quarter or something. But again, I'm not scoring these games myself. But you know that they're they're going to be giving up a, a ton. They're, they're going to be losing the three point battle like every night, right? So you need your perimeter athletes to perform at their best to 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 do what they're best at and that for Angel McCarthy that's beating people off the dribble getting into the paint and you know canning the uh the two-point jumper off the dribble too and no she was she was phenomenal she looked 100 percent healthy she looked like the Angel McCarthy of old yeah she was really kind of doing it all she was getting to the basket as you were saying she was really I think playing with a lot of great pace um in in the open court she was she, she was dishing it pretty well you know she only had two assists but I thought she had some really nice passes over the course of the game she was hitting some seemingly impossible mid-rangers, got uh, a nice and one on one of those mid-rangers as well. And, you know, for as much as we kind of give this offense and this team a hard time for their lack of three-point shooting, you know, they, they of course, shoot like a comically no, low number of threes last year, today as well. Um, but I think they really run some good actions uh, in, inside the two-point line um, to get players in advantageous situations. And that was really the case with Angel today, where they really got her to the middle of the floor catching the basketball and gave her a chance to either rise up or, uh, you know, just attack with, with some momentum going to the basket. And she, I would say, obviously it is just one game, of course, but far exceeded what I expected from Angel McCautry coming off that injury. Likewise. And that's a good point. That's a good point about running action that benefits what you want to be doing on offense. Uh, I thought they, they really did that a lot with Asia Wilson, who was also a, had a fantastic game of 22 points and 11 rebounds. Nobody in the Chicago front court could guard Asia Wilson. And Bill Ambeer obviously knew that because they were running, they were running ISO play after ISO play to get Asia Wilson and also Derek Hamby the ball. And uh, it was pretty wild to me because like you knew they, they weren't even thinking about a three pointer for the vast majority of the game. And Chicago still couldn't do anything about it. Yeah, no. Vegas was getting anything they wanted inside the, like towards the rim, um, whether it was dribble drives or dumping it down into the post. And Asia Wilson, I thought, had a phenomenal game. You know, I think there was rightfully a lot of praise for Azra Stevens, who is listed on WNBA.com as playing shooting guard in this game. I would say that's probably not accurate, but. (laughs) um, she had a very encouraging game in a lot of ways, but she was not guarding Asia Wilson effectively. And Asia, you know, she hit a mid-range jumper on her, really kind of putting her body, I think, on Azra Stevens. And, and even more than that, I thought it was impressive how she was able to kind of rise up on those mid-range jump shots over Stevens, who obviously has great length for her size and, and position, but Stevens just had no answers for Wilson. She's just got such a high release. Um, you know, she was too strong for, for Stevens. She was too fast for Stephanie Dolson. She was too big for Cheyenne Parker. Anybody that, that Chicago put on her, you know, Asia Wilson just feasted. And like, it was pretty crazy to think that she entered the, the arena in a boot. She didn't show any ill effects on that ankle. She played 30 minutes, totally dominant uh, during those minutes. Actually, she was a minus three in the box score, but I don't think that, that reflects how, how much of a beast she was on offense. Yeah, and through three quarters, Asia Wilson had as many – free throw attempts as the Chicago sky did. They, she was just too, too physical for them. That sums Um, it up. Yeah. And Hamby in a lot of ways was kind of the same story. I thought she had a really terrific game as well um, with her uh, size and energy. You know, I thought that matchup with 
Uh, Cheyenne Parker was, was a very interesting one and they kind of went back and forth a, a little bit uh, and, and both kind of had their moments, but um, I thought Hamby was terrific. And, you know, the other thing I'll say is there's really no reason for her to be coming off the bench. I, I don't really understand that, that particular strategy. Okay. So let's, let's, let's go with it. Let's start with it or not start with, but uh, let's talk about the starting lineups because there are a couple surprises in, in both cases. Um, as you were alluding to the aces started Carolyn Swords, the, Recently unretired Carolyn Swords. She played 19 minutes alongside uh, Asia Wilson, McQuatry, Kayla McBride, and Lindsey Allen, which I thought was an interesting choice to start at point guard. Meanwhile, the Chicago Sky rolled out the usual Vander Quiggs lineup, Stephanie Dolson at center, Stevens at power forward, and Kalia Copper at small forward. Diamond Shields apparently, uh, unfortunately, was on a minutes limit because of some knee inflammation that we learned about literally as the game was starting. She wasn't on the injury report. I really missed seeing Diamond of Shields in this game, not just as a Sky fan, but as a person who likes seeing high-octane basketball. Like I, I think the Shields would just totally thrive in a game like this, but she didn't really seem to be herself. Yeah, I think you know pretty much immediately coming into the game, she had like an N1 in transition, and that was kind of the high point of her game. Not a whole lot that she did other than that. You know, She had that one nice attack on a closeout late that was, I think, a critical point in... I forget exactly when, when that was. Maybe it was the end of the third quarter, but uh, she attacked the closeout and kind of got to the spin move and finished a pretty tough layup there. And I thought that was, you know, very, very vital sort of to uh, Chicago ending up coming back. But yeah, it was kind of a bummer to see her so limited and, and to only play less than 15 minutes in this one. Yeah, for sure. Um, I do think Kalia Kapper performed pretty darn well in her uh replacing diamond to shields. I mean, 18 points uh, on 18 shooting possessions. So not super efficient, but she is another, she's still another player who still can get out and run in transition. Um, I think this guy was still kind of missing to shields playmaking on defense, as well as her kind of creating shots for herself on offense. I think like this guy, were kind of able to hang around with the aces. There is one stretch in the third quarter where I think this guy kind of let go of the rope. What I saw from that was that they got away from Courtney Vandersloot. To me, this team cannot afford to not run through Courtney Vandersloot, especially with, you know, their backup point guard, Sid Colson, who's still not there um, recovering from coronavirus. Like it seemed like they're kind of not really running effective sets, selling for weird shots. Vandersloot, 11 assists in the game, no surprises there. But when the sky were not running through her, they seemed kind of discombobulated. Did you get the same impression? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, to kind of build off what you were saying earlier, I thought Copper had some really nice moments you know, some frustrating shot attempts as well, just in terms of when maybe settling for, for shots early in the shot clock that didn't really need to be taken. But, you know, Chicago doesn't win this game without uh, Kalea Copper. She, she was terrific. She hit some, some really big buckets late, got to the free throw line a few times, and she was really, really significant in uh, a significant part of this story. Uh, particularly, you know, you know, she had that nice layup as things broke down. The shot clock was expiring to end the third quarter to bring them back within four points. But to kind of go back to what you were saying before that, the end of the first half, it's DeShields, Parker, Vandersloot, Quiggs, and Steph Dolson. And, you know, Courtney Vandersloot goes on that 8-0 run by herself, and uh, it turns into a 10-0 run by Chicago to bring Chicago back within two points in, in halftime. You know, she hit that right corner three, on that Cheyenne Parker drive. She took that nice mid-range two, had another three from the right slot. Of course, you know, Steph Dolson is always just making the extra pass and that really set Vandersloot up for that that last shot there. And yeah, she she's a terrific player. I, I think I saw someone uh, online saying that, you know, it kind of felt like a, a down game 
for Vandersloot. And then they looked up and she had, you know, eight points and eight assists in yeah. the third quarter or something. You know, it's just uh, – it was kind of a an uncharacteristic game sort of in um, how frequently you saw the ball in her hands, I think. And I think she – you know, her, her minutes ended up at 32. I was going to say it kind of felt a little bit lower than that. But, yeah, she was she was huge. And it's interesting. She's three for nine from the field. So all three of those made field goals came in that little 8-0 personal run uh, towards the end of the third quarter, uh, second yeah. quarter. Uh, box score apparently says she's, she was starting at either small forward or power forward. Uh, yeah, the scorers are on the struggle bus right now. I don't blame them. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was encouraging to me as a fan seeing – an aggressive Courtney Vandersloot, if if only for that little stretch, because that kept them in the game. Uh, I did think Gabby Williams played pretty well. Um, she was six for eight from the field in 25 minutes, seven rebounds, uh, a game high plus 11 in the box score. She even hit a three pointer, which was encouraging to see. Obviously, not going to give you that uh, that dynamic playmaking that or actual like natural point guard play that Sloot does. But uh, I think she was she played a solid game. Stephanie Dolson, I don't think played a very solid game, particularly on defense. This, let's just say the interior defense for this guy, no matter who it was, it was, it was Swiss cheese. Yeah, it was, it was rough going for them. Dolson, uh, as you said, did not have uh, a particularly encouraging defensive game. You know, she picked up two fouls in the first quarter, of course, because Steph Dolson has to be in foul trouble every game. It's a it's WNBA a rule. rule. Yeah. <laughs> um, you would never know it, but it's, it's crazy. But, you know, offensively, she's still kind of one of the things that really make this thing go for, for Chicago, just in terms of her uh, floor spacing and her crisp passing. You know, she's, I don't think she's one of these players that's ever really going to light up the stat sheet too much. You know, four rebounds, four assists, eight points. Like, that's a so-so stat line. But she does kind of on offense really allow them to do a lot of the things that they want to do. And she was able to get to the line for five attempts. Yeah. And also had that very nice and important screen on that hammer play to end the game and pretty much steal this victory for Chicago. Of course, yeah, of course that play, uh, Allie Quigley really up until that point, not much of a factor in this game. Um, she entered the game specifically for that play. Yeah, that's right. If I can just uh, jump in because there's, there's 22 seconds left. Copper gets a really tough rebound. And Chicago calls the timeout down one, 22 seconds left. Did you like this timeout? I did not like the timeout. I'll, I'll like jump it. in and kind of yeah. answer the question because there's 22 seconds left. You can try and get something in an open court situation. And then if something's not there, you can still call the timeout. Call the timeout. Yeah. I, I don't really like just automatically deciding you're going to let the defense, you know, have a chance to, to set itself up. Obviously it worked out and it gave uh, Chicago, you know, not only the opportunity to, run the play that they wanted to run, but also get Allie Quigley back into the game. But, you know, the counter side to that is, you know, they only went up two and they left 14.7 seconds left on the clock. So, uh, you know, obviously it worked out. The, it was a great play call. I thought Jackie Young defended it really well. She did. Um, and, and, you know, she got through the screen by Dolson and, you know, Quigs just hit an impossible sidestep three uh, to give them the lead. But yeah, didn't, did not love the time out there, but obviously it worked out. Yeah, I, I like the play because it worked. Is that fair? <laughs> of course. Uh, okay, so one other thing I kind of wanted to talk about here for the Aces, um, actually a couple things. Kayla McBride, not much doing. Yeah, it was a quiet game for her. Um, and, but I also feel like she was kind of an afterthought in terms was, of the offense. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I did kind of compliment how 
the offense put Angel and Asia Wilson in successful situations. I I don't really know that that's the case with Kayla McBride. But like when you are kind of the lone three point threat, like I feel like sometimes you just don't really have a lot to do, and and then that kind of can turn into you forcing some shots that maybe you shouldn't take. So, you know, it was not a great showing for McBride, but one player I kind of wanted to talk about was, um, I mean, do you, did you have anything kind of more to add about McBride specifically? Just, just one thing that, that came to mind. I, I believe one of the plays that they ran for, it was, it was some kind of curl action that resulted in a missed three-pointer. It really seemed that the plays that they ran for her were so sparse. They, they just said, oh, well, you know, we haven't gotten K-Mac a shot in a while. Let's, let's get her involved once. And like, I get it in, in this game. I kind of get it because you're so effective, like continuing to pound the ball inside. I mean, the aces, they attempted 20 shots in the restricted area. They finished 14 of them. That's 70%, but the, the highest figure of, of any team this opening weekend in that department, by the way. So like what they were doing was working. I don't think they're going to be able to get away with it versus most other defenses, but we'll see. Uh, but like, I don't know. It just didn't seem like there was much continuity with their guards Oh, I did think Lindsey Allen played played pretty well at point guard, managing the game, seven assists. Uh, what, what did what did you kind of want to hit on then? I, I wanted to talk about Jackie Young. I thought she had some nice moments. You know, I think she's a very good defensive player, and you know, she hit a, a jump shot, maybe even two in this game. But you know, the thing that I think we've both been kind of you know beating the drum on with regards to Jackie Young is just her finishing around the rim, and she had some really makeable misses in this yeah. game. Uh, one one of them kind of early on in the game. And then there's, you know, about 90 seconds left in the game. Vegas is up one and Jackie Young gets all the way to the rim, gets her defender in the air and has an easy look and just like short irons it, like hits the, the bottom of the rim, essentially. Like these are the ones that you kind of have, you got to get those in. It's a very makeable layup. And, you know, other than that, I think she had a relatively encouraging game, but those two, missed bunnies i thought and, and i shouldn't say they're bunnies because it's not like they were wide wide open but these are ones that good players make. make right exactly yeah she needs to make uh especially for a player like I, i'll keep hammering on it she was supposed to be a, very, a much better finisher than that and there's no reason why she should be missing these um but i agree i think her floor game was significantly better than it was last season i mean it's a one game sample size but i think like ideally she played 29 minutes not a really loud game I'm not sure Daniel Robinson really needs to be playing. Ideally, she did record three steals, but I mean, if you've got Daniel Robinson, Jackie Young, and Lindsey Allen, that's it seems kind of redundant, don't you think? Yeah, it does. But I thought Daniel Robinson did play a really good defensive game and um, really kind of put the pressure on some of the less sort of the, the guards on Chicago that maybe don't have Courtney Vandersloot's handle. Like I think she picked Gabby Williams' pocket a couple times, um, although. Gabby Williams says she has zero turnovers, so that must not be the case. Maybe yeah. it's copper. I, I don't know. These scores are weird. Oh, you know, it was Diamond to Shields. She she picked Diamond to Shields. Diamond to Shields had a okay. couple a couple weird loose handle turnovers that I thought were. I mean, you know, I don't think of Diamond to Shields as having some sick handle, but those turnovers were even by by that standard. I think a little uncharacteristic of her. So, but yeah, overall, I mean, Daniel Robinson certainly fits in with what they want to do, right? <laughs> or what they don't want to do specifically. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, so heading forward, what do you think of these two teams? Um, you know, I think they're both going to be really good teams. Uh, I'm a little bit more encouraged uh, by Las Vegas than I was coming into the season. And a lot of that has to do with how good Angel McCautry looked. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think in terms of the things that Vegas had success with, you know, this was kind of a really good matchup for them to have that kind of success. Uh, getting into the paint, you know, 
pushing the tempo. So maybe against just like different roster configurations, things won't quite look the same. But overall, I, I think it was an encouraging outing for Vegas and, you know, really kind of a discouraging outing in a lot of ways for Chicago, but they were able to to steal it. Yeah, the uh, the interior defense in particular was pretty discouraging to me. Um, although, honestly, the Aces, like, what did you think about the Aces defensively? Um, I mean, I thought they really kind of kept, uh, for a lot of the game, I thought they kind of kept Chicago out of what they wanted to do in the half court. Like, when, when things were able to get in the open court, I thought Chicago played uh, with some really good pace and made good decisions. But I, I didn't really kind of think for a lot of the game, like, that the Chicago sky, beautiful game type ball and body movement offense was, was all that crisp. And, you know, I'd mentioned it before, they kind of a lot of times just got bailed out by, like, tough Kalea Copper jump shots. Yeah, you know, uh, they also out-rebounded this guy 42 to 33, but I don't think that's very surprising. Um, one thing, if we're talking about specific plays, like the last play of the game, the Aces could have tied this up. They had Angel McCarthy with Stephanie Dolson switched on her, and for some reason, McCarthy gave that ball up. I mean, she she kicked it out to a wide-open Sugar Rogers, right? Wide um, open, really? I, she didn't look that open. Well, I thought... Courtney Vandersloot was like playing considerably closer to Angel McCautry than she would have if that wasn't like a Stephanie Dolson switch. Like okay. she was kind of making sure that Angel wasn't able to blow right by her, I thought, in my opinion. And Sloot had to recover. And, you know, it was a good look for, for a Sugar Rogers type shooter, I thought. But it wasn't really one of those shots where, you know, you're creating it from dribble penetration. Like she yeah. just swung it from the top of the key. And, but yeah, and then they had the out of bounds play, uh, 1.6 seconds left. And, they tried to get something in the middle of the paint, but Gabby Williams got, gets a hand on the inbound pass and Chicago gets the win. Yeah, I like I, I saw this like the last game's or last last year's playoff game like flashing before my eyes. I was like, okay, there's the three pointer in the corner. Okay, how are how are this guy gonna like give this up? But they held on. James Wade is of course not very happy after the game, so we'll see how this guy bounced back. Uh anything you wanna anything else you want to hit on before we move on to the last game of the day? Um, not, not too much. I thought Azure Stevens, you know, she showed the promise, right? The things yeah. that we had talked about in terms of her being a key part of this team's ceiling, it was there. It was there. Uh, I think Asia Wilson, not a very friendly matchup for her. Uh, she was in foul trouble. I was, I was impressed with the three pointers she was hitting. Cause I don't think that's a huge part of her game, like huge three point efficiency, but just the way she moves. I mean, the bottom line is she's moving like she's healthy and in this, in this free-flowing offense, she's going to get so many better, uh, better looks. Like, she got to the rim in transition like three or four times in the first half, right? She missed one of those layups. But just, just the way she's able to get out and run and just move around, uh, give defenses different looks. She can ideally be a, a good playmaker for this guy defense, which doesn't really have a lot of playmaking. So I'm, I was encouraged. Yeah, her skill set really fits in very nicely to what they want to do, particularly in the open floor but also her ability to just be the fourth player that can attack a closeout. You know what I'm saying? Like she, right. her ability to put the ball on the floor for her size and athleticism is very encouraging and she's going to be a good fit here. Health permitting. Uh, yeah. Let, let's move on to the, the last game of the night, uh, a game that I missed a little bit of the first quarter of, I assume you, you probably did too because of yes. the end of Chicago and Las Vegas, but uh, where did you want to start with this one? Uh, well, first of all, it was once again very orange. Uh, for some reason, CBS Sports Network, like their, their main camera is super oversaturated. I don't know, I don't know why, but uh, this game, it was nice to see the Dallas Wings versus Atlanta Dream. Um, Dream defeated Dallas 105 to 95. That's not, uh, I don't think that, allegedly, 
okay, allegedly, because like there's this weird break at the end of the game where they're trying to figure out what the score was or how many fouls somebody had. It was, it was a mess. But yeah, very high scoring game. Um, Dream scored 119.3 points per 100 possessions. Wings 108 points per 100 possessions. That's a net differential of 11.4. Um, it was the highest scoring game of the weekend, which is pretty cool to see because both of these teams were pretty dreadful offensively last season. They were the 11th and 12th ranked offenses last year. Yeah, season. yeah. So uh, it was cool to see um, a combined 20 for 45, which is 44.4% from three-point range. That definitely helps. But yeah, this was, uh, this was an encouraging game all around for two offenses that uh, got considerably better over the offseason. Yeah, so who, who really kind of stood out to you? You know, obviously there were some big games by some, I think, unexpected folks. You know, Monique Billings, I don't think anybody saw her dropping 30 points on what looks to be 20 shooting possessions and was just really kind of a monster in the mid-range. Just a, a very strange game, I, I think, overall. But she, you know, played with a ton of hustle, as she's always going to do, you know, bringing down 13 boards and really got out in transition. When she's in the open floor, she, I think, is a really good player. Obviously, yeah. she had a ton of success in the half court as well. But I, I'm not a big Monique Billings fan, but unless you kind of want to dig into her game, was there a particular place you wanted to start? Well, I just want to say a couple things about Billings because obviously game high, 30 points, 13 rebounds, monster game for her. Um, honestly, Steven, not much of what she did in this game surprised me because she got the minutes. She's always been a, a productive permanent player. Although I guess you could say like the scoring was, was nice because we've talked about it before. Like what is she going to be good at other than rebounding? Is she a rebounding specialist or does she have more, more in the tool chest, if you will? Uh, yeah, 30 mean- points, 12 free throw attempts. She had more. Yeah, and, and, you know, that sort of um, little 12 to 15-foot mid-range shot is definitely a shot that, you know, she's been she's shown that she can hit, but yeah. to go 10 of 14 from the floor is very encouraging, I guess, but more yeah, so, it didn't I, seem I would like, say it's surprising. It didn't seem like the Dallas Wings had many, had like an answer for her on defense. Um, that, of course, was a concern of ours for the Dallas defense. Did really nothing to alleviate those concerns. Um, but if we're talking about players who had uh, unexpectedly good games, let's stay with Atlanta. Um but Nigel Lanny played 34 minutes and this was like the most confident I've ever seen her play on offense. Like this is a, this looked like a totally different player than we saw in uh, Indiana last year. Yeah. Two for four from three and really, you know, was willing to put the ball on the floor and go all the way to the basket, right? Not, not pulling up from 17 feet as often as you would see in previous seasons. So a very, very encouraging game in that regard. And of course, you know, Tough defense, you know, not, not a lot of good defense going on, but I think Benajah Laney was pretty good. Really good, really good, uh, yeah. Particularly, you know, that last possession, essentially the last possession of the game where, you know, Dallas had a chance to really either tie the game or take the lead. Uh, and she just really bottled up Arike, and Arike just kind of danced around, not making much happen, and then just, like, threw up a heave. And, and that was Benajah Laney, right? She, yeah. uh, she was not uh, allowing that dribble penetration. Uh, and she's a great defensive player. I think it's six turnovers for Benajelani, but the scoring was, you know, 19 points. That's, you're going to take that every single day from, from Benajelani if she can offer it. I think this team, of course, is kind of shorthanded. Courtney Williams still not there. She will be there shortly. Glory Johnson still not there. Don't know when she'll be back. Kalani Brown still not there. Don't know when she'll be back. So the dream, as a, they actually ran a pretty short rotation relative to most of the other teams we've seen play so far. They had all five of their starters plus Blake Dietrich um, well over 20 minutes. Uh, Jalen Agnew played 10 minutes. Alexis Jones played a very short spell. Um, it did not look good for Alexis Jones. She had like this really bad shot. Like it, it seemed like they're running a pick and roll and then she just jacked up a three point over two defenders and 
that was it for her day. The recently signed Erica McCall didn't play much. I don't see her staying on the team once Kalani Brown and Gloria Johnson returned. But uh, yeah, Atlanta seemed like they had something they wanted to prove and uh, they were just inattackable the entire game. Uh, Nikki Collin, she said multiple times like, hey, we didn't play with good pace last year. We got to get that pace going. And I feel like for the most part, they were the aggressor in this game and they did pretty much whatever they wanted to on offense. Yeah. And you know, not a lot of matchups around the league where Elizabeth Williams is going to have the size and strength advantage at center, but Dallas provides that matchup. Mm -hmm. I I don't think Isabel Harrison who had a good game in her own right, or a student do can really kind of keep up with her physically or athletically. Uh, And and she was great. Uh, Allegedly, seven for seven from the field for allegedly 17 points. Uh, It also played really good defense, you know, for at at times I'll say, you know, it wasn't great all the time, but she, she definitely had her moments. Yeah. uh, 44 of the 105 points for Atlanta were scored in the paint. I mean, we gotta, we gotta talk about Kennedy Carter, right? Yeah. She, this is my first time seeing Kennedy Carter play and she, you know, I, I get the hype. Is she impressive um, or what? She is impressive for sure. You know, she takes some shots that maybe you're like, uh, I, I don't know about that. But uh, I think, you know, the big th- difference to me, and granted this is one game, but she just has the, in, in a different way, I think, than Arike, but she has the ability to get by her defender with speed and athleticism more easily than Arike Agumbawale, who kind of has to shake and then use, like, get her shoulder into you. Uh, Kennedy Carter can just straight beat you off the dribble. Yeah. Uh, And and Debbie Antonelli uh, made a good point about this. Um, She's able to get, like, both her hip and her shoulder. Is that what she said? Something along those lines? I thought that was really great attention to detail. Um, But, yeah, I mean, Carter struggled from the field shooting, 5 for 16. But um, And I said this, okay, I'm taking a victory lap on this one. She is a better distributor than people are giving her credit for. She had eight assists to just two turnovers. And I feel like she kind of maybe had double-digit assists. She was consistently getting into the paint and dumping these passes off. She already she can already draw like multiple defenders. She can get into the paint whenever she wants. You saw nine free throws attempted, I believe three and ones. But she's a willing passer as well. Like she's got the keys to the car already. Yeah, and she showed the ability to not only get by switches, you know, I think Satu Sabali is a, a much praised defensive player and uh, Carter just like toasted her uh, a couple times, but also, you know, defenders at her own position too. And you, you mentioned the playmaking, uh, a very, very encouraging aspect of her game in this uh, first game, you know, we'll see kind of what it looks like as maybe some of these Atlanta players come back down to earth a little bit, Laney and Billings specifically, but I mean, you got to like what you saw from, from Kennedy Carter. You know, I think some of the, higher difficulty shots that she took you know those were not great there was like one three-point attempt uh, on the left side where I think she like stepped back or or sidestepped or something and it it just kind of you know it it never really had a chance and then a couple mid-rangers there where you know these are rookie players but overall a a super promising game I thought I feel like if you're breaking it down like I think she's maybe not as good of a shooter as people give her credit for but she's a much better distributor than people give her credit for and uh, for a player who has been carrying a Texas A&M team on her back for three straight seasons. You're going to see some of these, these weird shots, some of these bad shots as she's get used to, as she gets used to playing with players who like, for example, Shakina Strickland four for seven from three point range looked great in my opinion, like, like at least for, for what you got her for Um, as Kennedy Carter gets used to playing with these, these players who can, you know, (laughs) actually shoot the ball. She's going to be, she's going to be great. She's gonna be a lot of fun to watch. I can't watch her. I can't wait to watch her play with Courtney Williams. Yeah, that'll be uh, an interesting pairing, if nothing else. Interesting. Yeah, interesting is a good way to put it. Interesting is a good way to put it. Um, 
And the other, let's let's hit on Dallas for a couple uh, for a few minutes. Uh, they had a lot of new pieces. Um, we talked a little bit about Enrique Gunbowale already. Kind of a, I was actually kind of disappointed in, in her in her floor game. Um, but the Wings' offense as a whole, they attempted twenty eight three pointers. Thirteen of them went in. Uh, they attempted only twenty three corner three pointers all of last season. I think it's fair to say that they'll eclipse that even with twelve fewer games this season. They've just got shooters everywhere now. Yeah, and there were some really encouraging lineups. I thought, you know, as much as we are both big fans of a student do, I really liked the lineups that they can run out there with uh, a point guard, a center, and three of their, you know, some combination of, you know, three of Sabali, Agumbawale, Gray, and Thornton. Yeah. Uh, particularly, you know, not to take anything away from the franchise player among those in, in Enrique Agumbawale, but particularly when it's one of those point guards, Gray, Thornton, Sabali, and, and like Isabel Harrison, that I thought was a very promising lineup, showed a lot of good floor spacing and, and smart plays all around, you know, a lot of kind of heady basketball to be played with those lineups. What, you know, you, you said briefly uh, already, Izzy Harrison had a pretty good game. I feel like she's going to benefit so much from all this floor spacing. Cause you think about it, she's pretty undersized compared to most centers. I think she's giving up, you know, a lot of both height and strength, but she was able to get down to the rim and, and, and finish pretty deep in the paint because you had Satu Sabley at the four in the corner because you had two guards who were willing to shoot the basketball because you had three shooters, four shooters around her. So even though she's probably not going to stop anybody like defensively, she can at least operate with more space on the offensive end now. Yeah. And just a quick reminder, Alicia Gray had 19 points, five of eight from the field, six of seven from the free throw line. Alicia Gray led all perimeter players in getting to the free throw line. Yep. I think it's still somehow like an underappreciated aspect of her game. She, she got some and ones in there and, you know, when she's attacking the basket, I, she just elevates a little bit higher than I think you're, you think she's going to. And that leads to some falls. Interestingly enough, Taisha Harris was the closing point guard in this game. Uh, Mariah Jefferson, I thought, was not very effective. And mm -hmm. uh, Agler ended up kind of liking what he saw from Harris. I did too. Actually, there wasn't a lot not to like from Harris. She was as advertised. I think she's going to struggle. Uh, she's going to have her up and downs like any point guards will. But uh, maybe I was underselling her a little bit. I, I called her a game manager. I thought she managed the game pretty pretty well. But yeah, she outplayed Mariah Jefferson both in, in scoring and distributing. Geez, Mojef, only one assist to three turnovers. Not great. Uh, Harris played like a pro. Yeah, she was really good. Very impressive. You know, spaced the floor. She... Did a nice job of kind of running the offense when, when that was asked, asked of her, but also would defer to Enrique Agumbawale. Uh, and interestingly enough, you know, I don't think there were any minutes in this game where Enrique Agumbawale was on the floor without one of Mariah Jefferson or Taisha Harris. So it right. seems like really an impotence by Brian Agler to have that secondary or, you know, primary ball handler to kind of play alongside Enrique even if she's going to do the bulk of, you know, the kind of creating in the half court. But Taisha Harris is really good. And, you know, she was uh, a big reason why I think they were able to kind of stay in it late. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good observation. I'm looking at the, the stats right now. Mariah Jefferson played 20 minutes and four seconds. Taisha Harris played 19 minutes and 56 seconds. So those were the two point guards. Arika didn't play any point guard. Um, do you agree with that? Do you think yeah. that's a good idea? Yeah, right. Uh, do I... Mm, I mean, I would like to, I mean, you know, why not try everything with this roster, right? Like, why not try a lineup with Enrique and then those three other wings in a center? What do you got to lose? I, I'm fully <laughs> in games. favor. Yeah, and I don't think that's the worst thing in the world for, for this team. That's probably no. one more, you know, big of the future away from 
really kind of having something here. So it was interesting. Bella Allery only played two minutes and 45 seconds, but she was the center in, in that lineup that I found so encouraging with Ty Harris and those three wings. But to answer your question, you know, I, I definitely get it, but I would just, you know, throw some more stuff at the wall and have her play point guard with, with Sabley Gray and Thornton all out there as well, just to kind of, you know, when she was running point guard last season, she didn't have the floor space in that that particular lineup would right. give you, I don't think. Or, or like the the options of, you know, all three of those players can really attack a closeout pretty well. So, Okay, fair enough. And who knows, we, that might have been a matchup thing. That might have been an Agler thing. Um, you know, he, he, he wants control of his team. Although I was pleasantly surprised with uh, how, how much pace they played with. I'm, I'm used to Brian Agler teams playing pretty slow, but there were several instances in this game where uh, – he did not put the brakes on Enrique Gumbawale and uh, he let her run. You know, it's not in a very efficient game, 19 points, seven for 21 from the field. I feel like she got kind of, she got a little chucky towards the end there uh, when some better passes could have been made. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, that, um, you know, there was that one possession late in the game uh, that I had talked about where Benajah Laney really kind of um, put the clamps on her, but I don't really think that possession was all Enrique's fault. You know, she brought the ball up, um, and she got. A, she was in a bad position, right? Like somebody, I forget who it was, gave her like the ball back with a few seconds remaining, or something like that. Yeah. So, so she's bringing the ball up. You know, she's calling for the screen. Izzy Harrison doesn't come set the screen for her. Instead, asks for like the dribble handoff, but then doesn't hand it off to her in the dribble handoff, and instead swings to the other side, um, and then just kind of goes from block to block on the post, and, and doesn't really give the potential driver any room to go, and then. You know, Arike gets it back on kind of a short shot clock and, and isn't really able to kind of dance her way past a terrific defender in Benajah Laney. So um, that, that was kind of the end of it for them there. But uh, I thought, you know, Arike did not start off particularly well either, but I thought she had some really nice moments kind of in between and really started getting it going late in the third quarter. You know, she had a nice finisher on the rim. She got to the free throw line. I think both of those were in the open court. Um, and you know, her passing still leaves a little bit to be desired. Do you think that's fair? That's fair. Totally fair. And, you know, 37.5% from three, you, you know, three of eight shooting, that, that's okay, but it doesn't, I don't know, she, she's not that great of a floor spacer. I, don't think. I mean, a couple of them came in rhythm. I yeah. forget who, I forget who, was it Ty Harris or it was one of the point guards who, who kicked it out, uh, made a nice skip pass and she was wide open and she canned it. That's what I got to see. You know, none of this uh, refusing screens and then dribbling around and taking sidestep threes. Okay. We saw that last season when that was the only option. It's not the only option anymore. Yeah. The catch and shoot threes. Good. The, the dribble drive or, or like the dribble kind of step back, refusing any sort of help threes. Not we, good. We probably cut those out. Not good. Okay. Um, um, oh, I was just going to say, why don't we maybe talk about the other franchise cornerstone in, in Satu Sabali, who I think kind of had, you know, another mixed bag of a game. Yeah. She took her lumps for sure. Um, I, I think the jury's still out on whether she's like a three or a four. I would play her at the four personally, because I think that really takes best advantage of her offensive skills because she's going to be able to beat those taller players off the dribble or stretch them out behind the three point line. Um, defensively, I don't think she was that great. And, and offensively, I think she was still kind of, she didn't really exhibit great awareness. I thought, you know, four turnovers uh, did, did record five assists. She was they, actually the team's leading assister, which was interesting. Um, allegedly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, um, she was, she was, she was okay. You know, I, you can see the potential there for sure. Um, 
it's just part of this team. It's, it's got a ton of youth, and they're going to be figuring it out. Yeah. Um, you what know, stood I, out to you? You know, I in a lot of ways, I thought the negatives kind of stood out a little bit more, but I think maybe they were just kind of easier to to show up. You know, she, I don't think, had a great defensive game, but I agree with you that, you know, I think she has the tools to be a four and is going to just, you know, be in more advantageous situations in, in those lineups. Uh, and it also, you know, gives this Dallas Wings team, you know, that gives you the opportunity to play Alicia Gray and Kayla Thornton. I mean, the, the fact is, like, uh, whether it's Thornton or Sabley at the four, like, I think all three of those wings should be playing more often than they should play two traditional bigs. Yes. Um, you know, we saw some, some Katie Lou minutes. Uh, she she kind of played a lot in this game. And then, you know, I think a Stu and do maybe only played one stint in the first half, but definitely came back for a second stint in the second half. And of she course, injured? Izzy, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. She didn't play as much as I thought she would. 13 yeah. minutes. And then, uh, you know, Harrison was second in the team in minutes as well. Uh, which is fine, but you know, I think the more the more wings you can get on this floor, I think the better for just in terms of like having your best players out there. Like, I'd rather see Sabley like at the four, yes, but I'd rather see her playing outside, like in a four out set, rather than in the paint. I don't think her playing in the paint, like back to the basket, I, I don't think that's that best suits her skills. But I'm not a coach, so you know. In, in any case, um, she did get a nice uh, basket inside when, for some reason, like Blake Dietrich ended up on her, and she was able to like. <laughs> get herself in between Dietrich in the basket. And that was kind of one of her like few easy opportunities of the day. I mean, taking advantage of a mismatch, right. And she's going to yeah. be getting plenty of those, whether it be, you know, taking advantage of smaller players or larger players, that's part of the beauty of her game, but uh, definitely a mixed bag for, for Satu Sabali. Uh, but by no, by no means like a, like a concerning game. I don't think. Yeah. Four turnovers. She did fall out five rebounds, five assists. I thought she showed some visible frustrations at times as well yeah. in terms of just like, the offense wasn't maybe doing the things that she was used to a very good college offense doing or, or something, but you could see her kind of, you know, throwing her arms up uh, a few times there. So, and she got lit up by Monique Billings on several occasions. Like, yeah, I, I'm not sure she's used to dealing with that type of physicality and that type of energy. Like Monique Billings was, man, she could have played 60 minutes. I was so impressed with her. Yeah, no, she, she brought the energy and um, that that's what she's going to do. Right. If you're not ready to play Monique Billings is going to, just make you hate her, right? Yeah, yeah. Unless she's on your team, right? Uh, anything else you want to kind of touch on in this one? You said you said Katie Lou Samuelson played a, a a lot, eighteen minutes. The 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 one the defining sequence of her game for me was when she hit that three pointer from like a few feet behind the the line at the top of the key, and then on the very next play, she got totally lost on a screen, and Shakina Strickland like canned a wide open three right back at her, and. Uh, like, that's the Katie Lou Samuelson experience. Yeah, and there was another defensive sequence. I can't quite remember who it was on. It might have been Carter. It might have been – actually, I think it was Billings. And even for a player who – you know, I think Billings is probably shorter than Katie Lou. Yeah, um, I think she is. You know, Billings rised up for – rose up for a jump shot, and Katie Lou just wasn't able to contest it despite kind of being right there. And, you know, that's kind of the Katie Lou – story as well like she's kind of in the area but she's not really deterring you much yeah uh so it's that's gonna be an up and down experience for her but you know we'll see she's still young she didn't get much of an opportunity last year uh you know how i feel about that but uh this the kids are definitely gonna play because they really have no other options i mean kayla thornton 17 minutes i think i'm kind of getting an inkling that she's gonna take a back seat this year compared to what we're used to seeing 
Yeah, I, I think she is, you know, one of the, um, uh, what, what's the term I'm looking for? You know, she is, has been negatively affected by uh, the confusion in this scoring, uh, the, the WNBA.com box scores or, or whatever was going on in the arena. You know, she definitely hit at least one three and, and took another one in the first half and wasn't That's credited weird. for those. Those went to Taisha Harris. Um, so just kind of a weird game for everyone, I guess, all around. Um, but I'm 100% sure that Kayla Thornton hit a three that uh, I'm not sure if you remember this play, but Satu Sabali kind of um, had a nice play where she got a defender up on the air and was able, like had the opportunity to go up and under with her left hand, but like kicked it out to the, to the right wing instead. And uh, Kayla Thornton hit a three. Um, uh, and yeah, I thought, actually, yeah, I do. I know. What you're yeah. And so, and she had some, attacks on closeouts that were not successful um but it looked like a, a promising opportunity you know she she i don't think she should take a back seat i don't think alicia gray should take a back seat either you know the players that should take a back seat are um you know katie lou samuelson give 18 of, or you know at least six of those minutes split them up to give thornton and, and gray each three more and um or give some more minutes to us do and do i guess but you know, both of those players, at least if you're not going to play them and they're not going to, or, or play them long-term, they're not going to factor in long-term. Like they have tremendous trade value, if nothing else. That's, that's a good point. Especially Alicia Gray. I, I tell you, I'd like Alicia Gray on my team. The former, not number two overall pick Alicia Gray. That would have been great. <laughs> uh, see, I, I got myself there. It's, you can't do it. Uh, <laughs> it's weird looking at this boxer. I'm, I'm just, I'm just looking at it. It says Izzy Harrison had five fouls. I remember watching her sit down because she got like the refs were trying to figure they need to, they need to fix this dude. Yes. This is, I, most people were under the impression she followed out. Let's say I, it was so weird. Uh, but you know, everyone's struggling right now. It's, it's understandable. Um, well, anything overall, else you wanted? yeah, I guess overall kind of just in terms of like the weekend, you know, what, what did you think about the, the arena experience, you know, kind of watching these games with that set up? Did, did you have any kind of thoughts that set out? Well, first of all, um, not really related to basketball, but I am fiercely proud of all the WNBA players for, you know, putting Breonna Taylor on the back of their jerseys, for taking a stand for what, for what they believe in, um, you know, leaving the arena before the anthem, or leaving the floor before the anthem, and then, you know, coming back out. Uh, they are truly the leaders in the sports world, and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. It's, it's really, it really makes me proud for all the, uh, for all the nitpicking we do, you know, tongue-in-cheek about the WNBA like not being uh, up to par with other leagues as far as presentation is concerned um these athletes truly are the best in the world at what they do and it's just such a joy to watch them play again this summer even under these unusual circumstances I, I wish I could be there uh like I usually am but this is this is good too this will do as far as the weekend itself as far as the games themselves I mean I, I think today's games were definitely better than Saturday's games maybe they were better matchups or or what I think Saturday's games were kind of a slog uh, as teams were still getting used to like, there are a lot of bad shooting game, like a bad, a lot of bad three point shooting. Is that like a, like a death perception thing with, with nobody in the stands? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It didn't bother uh, my, my main player, Shakina Strickland. No, it didn't. Uh, but that's, that's, that's muscle memory for her, man. She's, she's a robot from behind three point range. Uh, yeah. I, I think the Sunday's games were more competitive than Saturday's games, which was nice. Uh, particularly the aces and sky game, which was terrific. Uh, really, really glad they got that one on, on, on national TV. That was awesome. Um, I, I think otherwise it's to be, it's to be expected. You know, like I said, super unorthodox circumstances. 
Um, a lot of teams not at full strength. A lot of teams waiting for more players to come down to the bubble. Um, so there's some ups and downs for each team. And they didn't really get like a preseason. You know, they got these these scrimmages that we kept hearing about, but we couldn't see. So I don't know how... Well, we can't see the preseason games either. Yeah, we can't see the preseason games either. So that's that that thing that hasn't changed, right? Um, meanwhile, in the NBA, you can you can watch the scrimmages, but that's a whole I don't want to dive down right now. Um, I think it was a successful opening weekend, and I'm glad the WNBA is back. Yeah, overall, you know, I thought the kind of uh, visual presentation of the games were good. I like the black backdrop. Uh, yeah, I love being yeah. able to really hear, you know, actual coach strategy and kind of what they're saying to their players. Um, instead of, you know, just kind of like the mic'd up rah-rah stuff. Fake crowd um, noise. Yeah, well, and the fake crowd noise. I, I did think it was funny that the Lynx brought their meow. Or yeah, their, their <laughs> I heard that too. Um, but overall, like, I, I liked kind of the way it looked. Um, and like you said, it's nice to be back. Uh, awesome kind of, you know, all these players making the social stance that they are. It's very important. Uh, I also liked that the CBS broadcast uh, today in, in the later games – or in the later game today, you know, um, they weren't kind of shying away from it in, in sort of broadcast speak, kind of being general about it. You know, um, I, I forget who was doing the color commentary and the play-by-play on the Atlanta-Dallas game, but they were, um, you know, not being apolitical about it, I'll say. Sure. Yeah, that's, 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 that's enormous for the sports league and for sports in general. Um, I think that's somebody correct me on later if I'm wrong on this, but I think the CBS sports network games gets the quote unquote home team announcers. Uh, I'm not entirely sure about that, but, but this, but Sunday CBS sports network announcers were different than the ones on Saturday. So yeah, I, don't know, I, I think, I think they've got some sort of thing where it's like, they're all, they're on some video call. So it's, you're obviously going to be experiencing some, uh, <laughs> they've got a struggle. They've got a struggle too as well, but you know, God bless them for, for stepping up for that challenge for Holly Rowe for going down there and, and being the sideline reporter. I think that's dope. Um, yeah, it's, it's good to have the W back even in a limited capacity. I'm, I'm thrilled. Uh, sounds like you are as well. And uh, yeah. Oh wait, one more thing. Um, You said earlier, uh, somebody on Twitter said that uh, it seems like Courtney Vanderson was having a bad game and she looked up and you had, eight points and eight assists. I believe that was Curtis Zimmerman at from Curtis. He is the mastermind behind across the timeline.com, which is a tremendously helpful WNBA historical database. It's got stats. It's got history of like drafts and everything like that. Just anything, anything you can think of regarding the history of the WNBA. It's there. I really, really appreciate his work. You should really go check it out. If you haven't seen it already, that's across the timeline.com. Um, so Curtis, now that I mentioned it, uh, I will be expecting my compensation off air. So thank you. Uh, Steven, any other thing, things you want to talk about before we wrap this up? Uh, no, we love Curtis here. Um, thank you all for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review. If you want to support the show, we are available on Apple podcasts and Google podcast manager. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at double down WNBA at Nemchak E for Eric and at Trinkwald for myself. Um, Eric, I'm looking forward to, to catching some more games this week. I, I got to be honest, it'll be nice to have no games on Monday after <laughs> uh, spending a lot of time in front of the TV this weekend. But um, recording these, these game recaps was a lot of fun. Yeah, and, and just, just for all of you listeners out there, all dozen of you or whatever, um, we, did, we did record this in, in two days. Um, I know this episode is going to run pretty long. 
Uh, but we just had, you know, so much fun breaking down these games. Uh, our enthusiasm is, is palpable. Like you probably, you could probably tell how psyched we are. Uh, we, but we do welcome feedback. If you think this is too long, please let us know. If you think it's too short, for some reason, please let us know. If you prefer it to be split up into two episodes, we're willing to, to listen. Just if you, no matter if you listen to the whole episode or if you just caught the Sunday games or if you just caught the Saturday games, thank you all very, 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 very much for listening. We are putting a lot of work into this, but we're having a lot of fun and your feedback means the world to us. So thank you. Well put. All right, everybody. Catch you on the flip side.